Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Let's lock in. This is Unrivaled. Yes! Yes! The teams you live for. The sports you love. With Scott Mitchell and Alex Keurig, presented by G2G Bars on 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome on in. It is Unrivaled 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. Hey, thanks for being with, being with us on the program. Happy Monday. Are you, is it a happy Monday though, Scott? Come on. Let's, uh, I don't know yet. How are you feeling about this three-game Jazz losing streak? You know what I feel like about it. I feel like it's probably you. Probably are, you're you're, in a, you're Mr. Actually, Silver Lining. I'm guy. actually grumpy about it. Oh, well, what? how can you be grumpy? I mean, they they. I mean, are the cupboards bare or what? Because oh it's gosh. like so many guys out, so many guys gone. You got to get your program out just to know who's in the right. game. You're like, shaking hands, going. I never heard of hey, that guy. Hey, uh, great season, guys. That was fun while it lasted. Really appreciate it. And now let's it's on to. <laughs> I think that was the most insulting thing I ever heard uh, when I played in the NFL. What? Um, my second year, we played in Japan. Why? In a preseason game. They were thinking and, about. They were and, thinking about having a. Uh, so when you went back Tokyo then, Warriors team. No, they, just, they were the just. They had these games all over the yeah, all yeah, over yeah. the place. And and that meant we played five preseason games. So Dan Marino played a series. So I go in the second series in, of the to- game. in Tokyo. In Tokyo, and Bob Golick. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, the uh, Mike Golick's brother, right, Bob right. Golick. We're playing the Raiders. So Bob Golick, Howie Long. Bob Golick goes, "Who's in there playing quarterback? <laughs> I got to get my program out. I've never even heard of who is this. I've never heard of this guy." <laughs> and he's yelling it from the line of scrimmage as we're in the huddle. Like had to have been the most. Humiliating, Dude, Bob. That was the worst dig. Yeah, that was the get, worst dig in the world. But listen, you ended up getting Bob Golick back in terms of being embarrassed because his his thing that he's most known for is his stretch on Saved by the Bell. Yes. So <laughs> if you yeah. if you go, what was Mike Golick known for? Yeah, it's like eh, not being uh, 
Not playing for the uh, known to be a character. Yes, not yeah. playing for the 49ers. Who else did he play for? I'm trying to think. Wait, who'd you no, guys it was, play? It was the the uh, Browns. No, it's the Raiders. Oh, that's right. So he was a Patriots. I don't know what he Browns was. Browns and, and Raiders. Yeah, yeah, and Saved by the Bell. Yeah. See, you didn't think we were going to work a Saved by the Bell reference into the first part of the show, but I was challenged to do it. I'm all for it. Yeah, listen. Anytime I, you have to get your program out, I just that's a bad thing. <laughs> it's just a bad thing. He he didn't he probably knew, but that's a good that's a good vibe to go off of is yeah. I've never heard of this I guy. Mean, if it wasn't me, that's funny, right? But right. it was me and but it was so, you and so you felt crestfallen like crushed through two interceptions. Crushed. Yeah, it's crazy. Bob Golick doesn't even know who Bob I am. Golick had a freaking long career, man. Yeah. I forgot about that guy. But again, Saved by the Bell is what I know him most for. Okay. How would you like to have a career where it's like you basically were on the ground? Like you're on all, you're on, on all fours all the, the whole time. time. That, that what, was, what a career. That old three technique. <laughs> <laughs> and the lower you get, the better that's off you are. That's low man wins, dude. Yeah. I got real low today. And they're like, oh, that sounds sad. No, no, it was a good day. <laughs> no, it was a that's, great day. That's how we won. Uh, all right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to kick off the show. we got lots to jump into. Uh, yes, the Jazz. Uh, quite a weekend in Oklahoma City. I bet David Locke loved it. I, I can't wait to hear from Locke on Wednesday to see how that trip uh, went. And they play the Mavs tomorrow night. And you know what? The Mavericks are in a fight. And it's liter- it was literally a fight last night with the Phoenix Suns because you saw Luka and Devin Booker getting in each other's face. And I'm like, my heavens. Well, it's a fight for who had the better trade. And then to roll up, right? And yeah. then and then Durant, yeah. Durant rolls up and he's like, "Hey, hey, hey!" Separated out, guys. Kyrie's there, and I'm like, "This, gosh darn it! These two teams have so many freaking superstars." On Almost them. like the playoffs. Yes, which is what yeah. it's going to be. So I'm excited about that. Excited to see what the Jazz are going to do. Maybe the Jazz need to get in a fight with someone. What just, did we just say? Just a little chippy, Jeremy. What did we say was going to happen during this road trip? We said six games. <laughs> They're we, gonna said, lose them we all. said they're going to go two and four. I think was the best, the most optimistic view of that. Or I thought somebody said three and three. It's probably it was probably Scott. I I think I said <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they lost <laughs> all of them. Somebody said a split for at least these two. So yeah. Well, no. You know what? Well, now what I said is if they split the first two, they can go three and three, dude. But if not, they're going to may at best go two and four. It weren't well, in trouble then. It weren't even close, bro. Because they're going to lose in Dallas. They're going to lose in Miami. Bad. Maybe they'll win in in. Or Orlando. Mm-hmm. Wonder if they go to Disney World when they're there. They do not. They don't. No, they don't. no, Mm-mm. no. They don't have time. Well, how do you know? Because they don't go to Disney. You know. You know. You know how it is. D- downtown Orlando is the no one goes to downtown Orlando except for the NBA teams. Right. They show up to play downtown. I wonder where they actually stay in Orlando. They play. They stay at the Grand Floridian at <laughs> Disney World. I think you nailed it. Here's the thing: if you're if you're a basketball player. If you're a basketball player, you do not go to Disney World. No. You can't fit on any of the no. rides. Unless already, you're like John Stockton. No, I've already got now, my... if you look like John Stockton and you're about his height, you can you can. So go. there's always that bar that's like right in front you're supposed to grab onto, but my yeah. knees go straight into that yeah. thing. And my kids are like, this is comfy. And I'm like, they barely got the thing to click over my over so, my belly, dude. So you're telling me it's <laughs> uncomfortable it's for, for you. Okay. <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, kids, you go on that ride. I can't, I can't even uh, get on that Listen, one. I'll be at the bottom waiting for you. Let's kick the show off as we always do with the cut. Let's jump in right here. The other question. Undeniable. Unrivaled. Top sports story of the hour. Here's what made the cut. All right, the cut and our show presented by G2G Bars, all natural ingredients, no preservatives, 
plenty of protein. If you see a G2G bar in the store, just give it a shot. They're in the refrigerated section. It's your Associated Foods. Holiday Oil, Maverick. You know how Maverick has that little... They got that little refrigerated, like, you know, you get your string cheeses. It's a, it's a small island in a yes. sea of sugar. Yeah. Oh, so yes. they have one one healthy little, little like, uh, well, you can get a I don't boy- know, refrigerated no, cooler no. area. But then, right, and it has oranges. Right. It has, you can get you a know, boiled egg. A boiled egg. But look up one level and just grab the G2G bar. No, no, no. And the G2G bars. That's, that's, that's the what health, I'm saying. That's the healthy little section in. S- skip the. Yeah. The rest of it is king size Reese's. Oh, boy. Buy two, get potato one chips. Yeah, yeah. and Reese's, a lot of soda. Reese's potato chips—they do actually have them with the chips. Well, the Reese's and potato chips. So there's two different things: the big king Reese's and the hey, potato Jeremy, chips. write it down. Reese's potato chips. Just uh, put it down as an idea. It's already a thing, like Scott said. Is well, it? No, thing? they put chips no, in the cups. I'm saying let's get a powder of some sort. That's a Reese's peanut butter powder, like the puffs, like the cereal. Put it on the put it on the chips. That Got will, it, Chief. Yeah. That's a kind of like kind of like um, like. Uh, what is it? Salt and vinegar on your chips yes. or barbecue? Yes, but this is like a this is like a peanut butter. Peanut. A, whoa! Listen to this. Hold peanut on, we, could, cup we have a chips. whole thing we could do. Uh, the cinnamon toast crunch ruffles. <sighs> Come on, man! That would be an amazing treat. Yeah, then you just pour milk on it and eat it as cereal. <laughs> <laughs> what are you eating there? Just my. This is cereal, mom. Just some ruffles. Those are potato <laughs> chips, kid. Uh, so here's what we have. Oh, by the way, and also well, maybe you dunk them. Oh, they'd go so soggy in one second. Uh, TrajanWealth.com is the website. Your trusted local financial fiduciary, uh, 801-899-7600 or TrajanWealth.com. BYU firing up spring practices today. And it's it's a really interesting place because I'm trying to figure out how exciting we're going to be. We had Jay Hill on our uh, program on Friday. And uh, these guys are chomping at the bit because when you have a brand new, you know, whole side of the football – Yep, defense has totally uh, revamped itself with yep. the coaching staff, and I think upgraded considerably. And but that's yet to be seen, and that's not necessarily a dig as much at uh, Elisa Tuiaki, who had pretty good success until the last year and a half, really, when everybody's going get this guy out of here. But now you got Jay Hill, you have his whole team of uh, of uh, defensive coaches who've come in, and to think what they're doing now is is that these guys are going to come in and it's important to start establish like a culture, which they've already started doing. But I wanted to ask you, Scott, because uh, Mitch Harper put up, and we're going to talk with Mitch here in a, in a few minutes, but Mitch Harper has a five questions that need to be uh, answered at, uh, at spring ball for, for BYU. Number one is what are the changes that defense is going to make? Another one is, is what is Keaton Slovis looking like with the offense? And these are things obviously we want to see, uh, Position units, things like that. Then we start getting into the minutia, right? Because then you go, uh, are there guys who are going to – are there recruits a visit during the spring? That's another question. Uh, but among all these things, Scott, I wanted you, I want you to tell me what is actually going to be something that you want to learn about your team in spring and what is something that you don't actually learn in spring? Because we, we want all the answers in spring, and the, the, the reality is, is we don't get very many, it seems like. So I think your last statement there is probably the most accurate thing – I don't think you really get much out of spring ball at all. Uh, a lot of the reason is your best players typically don't participate or don't participate in the, a lot of the drills. A lot of the drills are not full speed. Uh, even when you get into fall camp, they're really not. I think when you start learning about your team truly is when you start playing games. And you can't simulate game settings until you start playing games. 
You don't know how people are going to react. I, I, I just case in point at Utah with Charlie Brewer. Everybody was so excited about Charlie Brewer. He looked amazing, including in, you, including me. He looked incredible. And then as soon as the ball started to fly, Charlie Brewer was brewing something that the, <laughs> was not, you know, he he kind of acted like he was a little a little inebriated yeah. there. So it's hard. It's hard to figure all of these things out. I think the biggest thing you run, I think you find out in spring football is who you have to go in the transfer portal and get. I really do. I think that's the biggest thing because it opens up again and you go, ah, you know what? These guys, you know, our whole defensive line really didn't look very good. I don't think we, I think if we put them all together, we might not have a guy. We need to go out and get some dudes. So they're going to be some, these dudes you're talking about. I'm not saying that's the case per se, but it's just, you, you got to go after spring, you're going to find, and, and, and what happens too, some players go, I wasn't even in the mix. Like the the coaches are not only what you're going to get, but what you're going to give up. And they'll they'll have discussions with guys going, you know what? Uh, you know, if you want to go, this might be a good time for you to go, and we would we would give you our blessing. So they rehab that conversation. You know, I think all the coaches kind of said this at, at, during the first. As soon as the season ends, they they kind of have these uh, almost exit interviews with guys who are right. like, "Hey, listen, this is obviously not something that's yeah. working out for either side here." We need that scholarship. We will honor it, uh, but like, we kind of this isn't working out. And if you want us to sign off on something, to head to some team. So there's there are I mean, guys I mean, who Utah, are, Utah had uh, Peter Costelli, quarterback, early enrolled and early exited. I mean, he yeah. you know he didn't. He just said, I don't. I there's no shot for me. I'm not. I'm not going to play. I need to go somewhere where I can. I can find an opportunity because it certainly certainly isn't here well but it's interesting too because you're going to have guys who might even have been okay when the season ended things were okay things were good they feel good about what their spot is and then that completely changes in spring again they they look and they go i mean maybe the maybe that's uh maybe the writing isn't totally on the walls what i'm saying for some of these guys and then they get through spring and they go and there are guys at other schools right now that have no idea that when spring ball's over, they're going to go, dude, I'm out of here. Well, I can't Keith, stand Keith, this new Keith coach. Keaton Slovis, here, you're talking about him at BYU. He came in and he supplanted the top recruit in the country uh, who got injured, but you know, still he, he supplanted him. So you, things change in a hurry. And then he was supplanted. Jackson Dart came in and, yeah. and, uh, and kind of took over the reins for, for Keaton Slovis. So, and then Jackson Dart ended up being supplanted. And then, and the, and the guy that's, the guys that there now, he, he ain't getting. Supplanted. He's okay. No, nah, yeah. he's not getting supplanted. But what you what you get in in spring that's really hard. You don't know how good your pass protection is. You don't know how good your pass rush is, because you're really not going at a tempo that you can get the best idea. You can have some indication. You can get you know you get guys learning uh, the plays. And the defenses and and learning the calls and seeing you know you you see reps it really it really is a lot more mental and and with BYU putting in a new defense it's probably invaluable to them to have spring football practice most of the time I don't know that it's invaluable that you have spring football practice but this is certainly one of those years not only defensively but the reps that uh, Keaton Slovis gets and and unfortunately or fortunately the the players that really do benefit the most from spring practice are quarterbacks because you're getting those live rep looks you're seeing uh, a a two deep safety look that at the snap of the ball all of a sudden goes to a single high safety and then it's like what do you do and and you're seeing the live rep of that and and it 
and and you start to figure out how to make decisions and how to um, slow the game down and what are you seeing and and how and start understanding concepts and where you're reading and what you're reading and and making reactions off of what you're seeing and no one benefits from that more I think than um, you know a, a quarterback. One of the things BYU's done a really good job I think in the past is whether it's been spring football and how they've practiced or when they practice in the fall, they they come out ready to go like on game one. And you look at the University of Utah, and they're typically like, they're three games into it, sometimes even past their first league game before they really, you know, they really got it going and they're really kind of up to speed on things. And I think a lot of that is how you practice uh, in the spring and in the fall. And Utah does not practice a lot of their guys. Like a lot of the the top players for Utah will not be practicing in the spring, but but when you're BYU and you've got all these new guys, it's like, heck yeah, we're practicing. So when guys come in and you think you're going to learn a lot about your team in the spring, you're not necessarily going to. What's the stuff like? Like when's an actual time frame? Because it seems like that the fall that fall camp, and in BYU's case, you and I'm sure a lot of teams are like this, where even if you're even if you're not just a hundred percent. Like, these guys who are established starters, they're not going to play. Guys who are already recovering from surgery, things like that, they're not obviously not going to be there. They're going to have their sling on, and they're going to be, you know, waiting to get healthy through the summer here. But I look about, I, I look at this and go, there are so many things that you can learn, but it's mostly about a lot of the young guys. But I think in BYU's case, the reason it's going to be so much more exciting is because you have a whole half of the coaching staff that is brand new. And not only that, there's a certain energy that comes with that. There's a certain energy that, that uh, Jay Hill brings on top of it. And these guys are want to, there are guys who are going to want to try to show off for these new coaches. There, there's another thing that I think you develop too, um, is, is you, is you can develop depth because you, you're going to give a lot of guys reps that they maybe don't typically have most teams. And I'm going to say most teams in the big 12 conference, if they're lucky to have 45 players on their roster that could be considered, you know, if you can go too deep on both sides of the ball, so 22 and 22 is 44, right? Did that math right, Jeremy? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're you're looking at um, if you have if you have 45 guys on your roster, and most teams probably don't that are really good. Um, that's that's a pretty solid team. You know, when you get into the Alabamas and the Georgias where they probably have a whole entire team of really good players. So those guys that aren't on the two deep are just like, I guess I could stay here or maybe I go somewhere else. Um, but establishing depth is is another part of of what you can get out of spring spring football because you, you give guys an opportunity and all of a sudden they start showing up and you go, wait a minute, hey, these guys – these guys are there, and that, that's one of the things you want to see. Are your guys going to compete? Are they going to um, really put it out there and really right. really show up? I think a guy like uh, at Utah a year ago, Money Parks, kind of upped his game, and Devon Bailey kind of became one of those emerging guys because of his, you know, how he was showing up and getting the coach's attention. Because the coaches are really – coaches know we don't – we just want too deep. We, we really don't want everyone. We just want to – can we establish a two deep on our team? It would be great to get more, but the reality is, is a lot of guys just don't pan out. And the, one of the things that Utah's done well, and I even think BYU's done a very good job of this, is they is 
they've kept players in the program. You know, guys, when they go to these programs, kind of buy into it. You just don't see a lot of attrition. Uh, and I think I think BYU, maybe more so than Utah. Um, I mean, Cam Rising is a transfer portal guy, but uh, BYU's done a good job of transfer portal guys. They've they've you know at certain positions, you know they've they've really succeeded at that and um, getting. Yeah, if you get, hard. but if you get those guys, so like Keaton Slovis, right? Mm-hmm. And you get them, and then you give them a chance to go into into spring ball and work, and you know that where you you know you pick up guys, and and then you can because that's another thing is taking the guys you get in the transfer portal and acclimating them into your systems in spring ball. So when you go to fall camp, it's not day one, and you can actually kind of take it to a different level of how well they're going to play on the field if they've been in your program for a spring. It's it's a it's a fascinating thing because we just we want some version of football. I'm not sure that yeah, I'm not sure you've really learned a lot though. Actually, no, really not. That, that's the thing is like I think the things that you learn. If BYU hadn't changed over their coaching staff on defense, you wouldn't get nearly as it wouldn't be nearly as much fun. But even then, I think you're kind of setting yourself up to go. We're going to find out a lot about this team and about this defense, and you kind of won't. I mean, that that's something I'm going to ask Mitch about when we uh, when we get Mitch Harper on who's going to join us next when we talk a little bit about uh, this BYU spring football that's coming up, uh, but also BYU tonight facing off against St. Mary's uh, after a an abysmal start against Portland in their first-round uh, matchup in the WCC tournament last week. They are in the semifinals facing a very familiar semifinals team in St. Mary's. It seems like so many years that BYU has been in this WCC uh, conference tournament, and they are uh, taking on St. Mary's tonight. A number 17 in the country, St. Mary's, too. Uh, Maybe the best St. Mary's team we've seen in a long time. So, It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your home for the best coverage of the Jazz, Utes, Cougars, and Aggies. This is Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Keery. It's not so right. Presented by G2G Bars on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Welcome back. It is Unrivaled 97.5 VKSL Sports Zone. Thanks for being with us. Spring is in the air. Spring football is definitely in the air. Firing up uh, as BYU's getting going here on their spring. Starting today, spring football right now down in Provo. Very exciting stuff. Mitch Harper, our BYU insider for KSLsports.com, hosts of Cougar Sports Saturday on KSL News Radio, joins us on the program. What's up, Mitch? Hey, guys. Yeah, happy to be on on uh... – First practice day of, of Big Twelve living for BYU, so it should be fun. It's uh, we were we were wondering about how you know, and we were looking at your article, the five things that BYU kind of questions you you want answered for spring. 
What what are the things that that uh, that people aren't going to find out in the spring? Because I think we we probably think we're going to know a lot after spring, but spring doesn't always uh, give us that. I think what we won't know for sure is is the the key difference makers on the defense. I think we got an idea of who they are. You know, Tyler Batty, I think is going to be a leader. I think we're going to hear a lot about him in spring. Coaches really were impressed. The new defensive staff with him in winter conditioning. So I'd say Tyler Batty is going to be a leader. Eddie Heckard from Weber State. I mean, I think Eddie Heckard is going to be a top guy from the get-go. I mean, I've, I've said before on Cougar Sports Saturday, I think he might be the best cornerback in the 21st century for BYU. Uh, he's that good. He's going to be an instant difference maker and maybe a culture changer, his arrival alone. Uh, but, you know, there's a scheme and everything like that. They're going to keep it vanilla. I mean, it's going to probably be a four-man front, but there's the part of the base look. But you'll hear a lot of things about multiple and whatnot. So there will still be some mystery to what we truly know about this defense from scheme, from some key personnel, uh, because there's going to be a lot of jockeying for that here in spring. With uh, all the new players, especially the quarterback, Keaton Slovis, in the defense and getting all of that tried to tried – trying to figure all of that out and all these questions you've brought up about getting answers. What, what changes in maybe the, um, out of the structure of practice, uh, are, are there different types of drills? Are there more te- team oriented things? What, what are, what are some of the things that, that you anticipate BYU doing in spring football and, and that they can do? Well, I think they're going to be, you know, th- there's gotta be a lot of teamwork uh, in this spring. I would expect, uh, because, uh, so much new uh, with the staff, with uh, the personnel. I mean, 37 new newcomers on this on this spring roster that was released today. So many new faces. You got to get some some teamwork. Uh, you know, spring ball is not as physical as it once was. Uh, you know, the NCAA's made rules changes last year that really kind of tapered down the physicality that you can have uh, in pra- in spring practice, but. Uh, I, I think it'd be smart for Kalani and this staff to have a little bit more teamwork uh, put into place because there's so much more uh, unknowns with this year's spring compared to last year where you felt like you pretty much knew the top 44 from a personnel side. You knew pretty much where everyone sat. Uh, this year there should be more co- competition because every roster spot is so critical with Big 12 affiliation and having guaranteed four-year scholarships kicking into gear for the program on July one. Uh, you know, if, if players aren't living up to the new heightened expectations, they might have to be nudged at or whatever it may be because you want to maximize and your roster, all 123 spots to have that depth necessary to compete in the Big 12. Uh, you talked about Eddie Heckard from uh, Weber State. Uh, Ty Burke is a guy that I, that's coming in uh, after a, a mission finally, right, and uh, out of Syracuse High School. What are some of these other – I know that Raider DeMooney is also another one that's – really everybody's looking forward to came off his mission recently so what are the ones that you're looking at and you go uh, I mean you just mentioned Heckard but who who are the other guys that you go keep your eyeballs open on these guys yeah Raider to Mooney for sure I think he could be maybe safety number three you know because I think Micah Harper is going to be there Malik Moore uh, Raider to Mooney could be that third guy and paired up with maybe Talon Alfrey in the second unit uh, Raider to Mooney has been a name we've heard about for seven years in the BYU circles, and and now he's going to finally go through a, a practice at BYU for the first time. He stayed loyal since he was an eighth grader. He's he's a big time talent. I mean, Jay Hill was at Salt Lake International Airport waiting for his arrival 
those sort of athletes. I mean, that, that sort of deal speaks for itself, the type of player Jay Hill views Raider and Mooney to be. Uh, so he's going to be someone to keep an eye on. You know, I think that, you know, some of the offensive linemen, Waylon Lapuaho, uh, Paul Miley, instant starters, in my opinion, for BYU. But wow. I'm really curious to see how BYU, uh, you know, how the kind of the chemistry on that offensive line. You know, Aaron Roderick said that it's going to be a more athletic group this year. I think he's saying that because of guys like Lapuaho and Miley, what they can bring to this offensive line. Uh, I think they're instant plug-and-play guys. I'm curious to see if that does play play out uh, during this spring period. 37 new guys this spring. Uh, what's the breakdown of guys that are, are early enrollees, uh, freshmen incoming? I know BYU plays the long game with the missions with a lot of players. But with these, these early enrollees, are there any guys that uh, could have an impact on this team this year? Uh, you know, I think it's someone that could be uh, an impact player for BYU is Jaden Dunlap, another cornerback uh, from uh, Cerritos College, Juco. He was a first-team all-junior college defensive back, kind of the lockdown corner at Cerritos. There's going to be competition on that other spot uh, besides Eddie Heckard at cornerback. I look at Dunlap to come in and instantly maybe compete uh, right away for for starter reps. Uh, I think that, you know, Gerald Guilford is really high on this guy and his production, you watch him on film, I mean, he would take on the top receiver for any junior college team, and he did not give up any touchdowns. He had a lot of pass deflections, a few interceptions this year. Uh, Jaden Dunlap, an early enrollee from the JUCO ranks, I think is someone to keep an eye on. I think from a return missionary, too, you know, early enrollees, I'm really curious to see, you know, obviously Raider DeMooney was a guy that uh, I brought up uh, moments ago. But, you know, I'm curious to see some of these other players, like – like a Zoom Esplin. You, you probably hear that name and go, who Who in the world? What is that? Like, what, no, what's but a it's Zoom a, Esplin? That is a first-team, all-name team already, <laughs> though, in the Big 12. But, you know, just kind of a kind of a freaky athlete type guy. What can he do on the D-line? They've also got a Weber State transfer along the D-line who Kelly Papinga told me is kind of impressed a little bit during winter conditioning. New Salais, and he's a guy that's on the travel roster. So many new faces, and so many of them are return missionaries. They gray-shirted last year. Uh, they've all kind of matriculated in, and let's see what they can all do to kind of compete and earn a place within this program. I think that's really kind of what makes spring ball interesting this year is with so many new faces plus Big 12 affiliation. Oh, and by the way, by the way a, a quarterback in Keaton Slovis and Jake Gretzlaff, there's, there's a lot of intriguing storylines when it comes to BYU spring ball, and they got 15 practices to really start to shape what this Power 5 team is going to look like. Mitch Harper joining us here on Unrivaled as we try to figure out what it's going to look like in the spring for uh, BYU football. I was wondering about the, the Keaton Slovis thing, too, because you wonder how much work that he needs to get into this offense. Obviously, when you talk about an entire new coaching staff on the defensive side, then you have Aaron Roderick and, and Fessy Satake, who are, are obviously they're, they're kind of hit the ground running. They're keeping this whole thing going, and that offense has a lot less work. It's about the, the pieces that are coming in to learn their system. It is, and, and I think I'm really curious to see how, how kind of comfortable Keaton Slovis is from the get-go. I, I mean, I remember my conversation with him that, that first day of, of winter semester back in January, and there was just a hunger and a desire to really learn this offense. And, you know, Slovis, there's – I think it's an interesting dynamic because he just has not been good for the last two seasons. And 
you know, Roderick's optimistic that they can get a bounce back from him. And I put up a piece today on, on KSL Sports about how, you know, Roderick wants to get him to the NFL. And Slovis told me how, you know, they're so aligned, uh, him and, and Roderick and, and Matt Mitchell, a, a very influential piece in getting Keenan Slovis to BYU was BYU analyst uh, Matt Mitchell, who once worked with Jeff Grimes at Baylor. He's kind of a you know, un- unofficial quarterback coach, if you will, a right-hand man to Roderick when it comes to developing these QBs and this offense in general. Uh, they, there's an alignment there, and there's confidence and optimism, but we got I want to see Slovis look really good. I mean, this is not like a freshman. This is a fifth-year quarterback. He needs to look great. And, and I think as far as like the ball placement, the accuracy of his passes, that needs to be on point during the spring period because the last thing you want to see is we're seeing we're hearing low balls, like poor passes, poor decision making. There's going to be no pressure. No offensive lineman's going to hit him. I want to see him look really good during this spring period because if he does, then I think you can start to feel a little bit more optimistic to say, hey, there's a path that BYU goes to a bowl game and maybe can be a tough out in the Big 12. I think fans, no matter what comes out of spring, should not look at this team and say, oh, you know, this is now suddenly a nine-win team. Don't don't get don't fall into that trap. But I think that <laughs> what you should feel good about is that you want to see some some flashes, some moments that make you say, this is going to be a competitive week in week out team in the Big Twelve, and that you could get to a bowl game. If you kind of set it at that bar, uh, you can kind of enjoy this process and really see kind of what BYU can become this season. I think they should hit him in in spring football. <laughs> Just, why, why wait? Let's know what we have right now. Why, why wait till the fall? Hit him. Hey, uh, Blake Friedland uh, ha- had a great uh, combine. Uh, what do you hear? What's the buzz you hear? Uh, what kind of impact did that have on on him and his draft status? I think Blake Freeland's going to be a potential second round guy. I mean, the thing is with Freeland, you know, for for the untrained you know NFL draft mix out there that were kind of learning about him for. Uh, the first time really yesterday, it's like you go look, watch his film, and he wasn't giving up sacks the last two years. BYU offense tackle replacing Brady Christensen, and Freeland's been outstanding. He's got good film, and what helps him too, unlike guys like Zach Wilson in the past, is that you've got great competition that he's playing. USC, you want to see him go up against Notre Dame. You want to see him go up against you know, power five teams from darn near every league, he's got film against those teams. So uh, there's a good body of work there. I think that, you know, and I think that Freeland's got a, got a love for football too. You know, that was something I kind of wondered when he was coming to BYU. If much does he love the game of football? Is it just that he's kind of a genetic freak? And that's why he's embraced this sport, and that's why he's got into it. But he really kind of embraced the grind of football. I'm uh, really passionate about it. I think his best football is ahead of him. And I think he's a day two guy, and if he becomes that, I mean, that those are nice pitches to sell again on the recruiting trail for BYU, where we always talk about the trenches being the heart of a power five football team. You can say they've produced two offensive tackles who've nice, and you got a future one in Kingsley Suamatia, who I think is going to be the best out of all of them, a first rounder potentially. Uh, BYU is building a nice pipeline, but Freeland's a freak, and it's not a surprise to me that that guy put up those type of numbers because anyone that's been seeing that close the last four years uh, knows how freaky of a talent he is, and uh, I think his best football is still out of him. 
Mitch, uh, let's get to some basketball real quick before we let you go. Uh, BYU tonight versus St. Mary's. I, I don't. I mean, this is as good of a St. Mary's team as we've seen in a long, long time, and and that's with a, a long group of t- of good St. Mary's teams. But uh, BYU and and Mark Pope have decided to turn it on at the exact right moment. At least, what's going to happen tonight? You know, I would still bank on St. Mary's. That's the safer bet because we just know every night they're going to bring the slowdown tempo. They're not going to beat themselves, and they've got accurate shooters. Aiden Mahaney, this freshman guard is just a BYU killer. The two games that BYU had against them, Mahaney was brilliant. Uh, so I would still lean to the Gales here. But, man, you got to like the fact that BYU showed some fight after that just embarrassing first half against Portland on Friday. They've clawed their way back. They got that win. And they had a nice performance against an LMU team who's done well in the league. But this is just a different beast. And – you know, BYU has always played well this season against top 25 competition. One of their wins was against Creighton on a neutral floor in Vegas. So maybe there's a little bit of good vibes there. But uh, I, I would still lean to the Gales because I think Randy Bennett, too, that coaching staff, uh, they will make the, the necessary uh, adjustments needed to, to get to get a win in a close setting. Because BYU this year, all their WCC wins have been by 10 points or more. All their losses except one have been by nine points or fewer. They can't win close games, and if you're going to take down the Gales, you're not going to blow them out. you got to win a close one. So I give the edge of St. Mary's, and I think they, they win, and I think BYU's WCC reign or WCC era comes to a close tonight against the Gales. Well, at least it's in a familiar place in the semifinal game of the WCC tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds about uh, – it's been like Groundhog Day the last yep. uh, 12 years for BYU. Yeah, uh, I think everybody's looking forward to – you know, uh, moving on to everything else that's going to come in the uh, WCC, uh, being shut down finally for them, and, and then uh, moving on to the Big 12. Although yep. it's terrifying to watch, like, Houston be number one in the country, and then and BYU's walking into uh, an absolute uh, buzzsaw in the Big 12. But I think it also excites Mark Pope, so we're looking forward to it. And I am too, and hey, Cougar fans can just enjoy the fact that even though the Big 12 tournament will probably be first-round exits in in Kansas City, but you'll got that foodie menu. you got the Big 12 East menu, which uh, I'm already counting down the days to be devouring that stuff. By the way, any of the stops uh, along the way, there's going to be some food stop uh, that we'll have to get to know a little bit better uh, for all these BYU games on the road. Mitch Harper, BYU Insider, KSLSports.com. You can read his byline there. Uh, fantastic job, best in the market when it comes to knowing about BYU sports. So, uh, Mitch, we'll talk to you again, man. Thanks for hanging out, dude. Hey, take care, guys. See there ya. you go, Mitch Harper. <sighs> hey, at least he just told you how it is tonight. The WCC tournament, uh, just uh, you're, to get an upset is very, very difficult against the, the St. Mary's team. So don't set yourself up for that. But it's still going to be a good one. We'll come back around the corner. We have our weekend warriors. Uh, just tons to go on the program on a Monday. We always have so many things to get to. Jeremiah Jensen is going to join us at the top of next hour as well from KSL 5 Television. That's all coming up. Stay with us. 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. This is Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Keery. With the access and insight on the teams you're passionate about. I love it, baby. Presented baby, baby, baby. by G2G Bars. This is 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's Unrivaled, 97.5 VKSL Sports Zone. Happy Monday. 
Alex Keery, Scott Mitchell. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. Hope your weekend was awesome. Hope your week is uh, started off has started off well. That's all we hope for you. That things can just go moderately well. Uh, this part of the program brought to you by Remedical, Utah's only physician-owned and operated wellness clinic, offering ED treatments that are that are discreet, non-invasive, and customized for your needs. Remedical.com is the website. It's just remedical.com. Weekend Warriors, uh, lots of folks in the in the space of of the combine, Scott, that have made a name for themselves. That it's like people forget for a minute what's on tape in college, and they just want to look at these crazy numbers. And for BYU's uh, Blake Freeland, who set all sorts of records and was number one in multiple categories for offensive linemen, uh, he probably earned himself some some nice dollars and change with his performance this weekend. He's already a tall dude, so this dude no doubt could win a dunk contest. And then here's his 40, 499, fastest of the day so far. Like we said, athletes are finally on the field here. Uh, the and, dancing uh, bears are here, folks. Oh, here Moving. he is. A little tail of the tape with Lane Johnson. How about the 10-yard split? Exactly the same. Mm. 1.68. That's pretty quick. 37-inch vertical. That's pretty impressive. What right a here. comparison to a guy like Lane Johnson. My goodness. Lane Johnson, quarterback, moved to tight end, and then offensive lineman at Oklahoma. See, and that's, what, that's basically the Sounds same path like, that uh, yeah, Blake, Blake Freeland had. Yeah. So 37-inch vertical yeah. at 6'8". Basically, they kept saying six seven, but he was six. He's his official barefoot was six seven and seven eighths. This guy's a freak, man, and he just earned some extra dough being uh, having an awesome. Well, combine. they call him a dancing bear. That's inappropriate. That's just wrong. <laughs> the dancing bears have showed up, everybody. And Why do they always have to take to, a shot like this at yeah, linemen? Come on. When we talk to um, Mitch Harper, you know, he's talking about second round. Someone gets Blake Freeland in the second round. They gotta. They gotta steal. I think I'm just telling you guys like this are the guys that end up playing and doing well in the NFL long le- lengthy athletic um it's yeah it'll be it'll be fun to see where where it ends up for Blake uh I think about uh, the people who were Jonathan Ogden was one of these massive mountains, right? <laughs> he was just like an insane individual. Right, that, but these but are the guys insanely, you think of. Athletic individual. That's why these guys end up because just, yeah. you see how huge they are, oh. and then you go because because uh, the, the other, dudes on the other side of the ball, yeah, amazing athletes. There was another guy at the combine, uh, Daniel uh, Faele from Minnesota, six eight, three ninety. Yeah, <laughs> but again, he's like two people. He's exactly two people. Yes. Like this is, and, and when you saw him, and he's and not be, just two little people, two, yeah, you know, two two hundred pounders, right? Played at uh, played at IMG Academy in Florida, and he's uh, he's one of these guys too that you know yeah. teams are looking at and they go, yeah, I'd draft him. Just take a shot at the guy who's six eight three ninety. Come on, let's go. Uh, all right, so there's uh, some of your weekend warriors. Oh, don't forget uh, this guy who put in maybe one of the most impressive uh, combines that we've seen in a long time, Anthony Richardson out of Florida. A broad jump of 10-9, and here he is running a 40-yard dash, and oh my goodness, it is full Moses Malone. Four, four, four. Four, four, four. There you go. Maybe so, he'll be the fourth pick in the draft, hey. or, or, or sooner. Look, this dude. You can, you, can, you can make a name for yourself. A lot of people, are, I guarantee, are salivating over what this guy is physically. And we were beating the heck out of him, uh, you know, with the with how bad his numbers were at, with a 6-7 and seven Florida yeah. team this year. You See, went, you, just go, you just go Josh Allen. You just go Josh Allen didn't have like this. 
But he was just an right. amazing Bad athlete. completion percentage in college. Just, yeah. But everybody knows how insane he looks. Getting the right situation, the right team. Mm. <sighs> awesome. Hello. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Let's lock in. This is Unrivaled. Yes! Yes! The teams you live for. The sports you love. With Scott Mitchell and Alex Keurig, presented by G2G Bars on 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. So, so, so. All right, everybody. Welcome back. It is Unrivaled, 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. It's a Monday. Our weekend is in the books. And, uh, Talk about a guy who gets all his good work done in the weekend. Uh, not that that's the only place, but uh, when he hustles, the sweat on the brow is on the weekends for Jeremiah <laughs> Jensen uh, from Castle 5 Television. What's up, JJ? I'm uh, just chilling, just trying to enjoy my Monday. <laughs> now, it's- you came in, and you're kind of our – I mean, Scott's the silver lining guy usually, but then he gets a little grumpy sometimes. Yeah. JJ walks in here, and we're like, man, three-game losing seat for the Jazz. And you were like, isn't it awesome? <laughs> no, he's like, the Jazz are on a mission. <laughs> the Jazz are on a roll right now. Uh, so Keep what, the train rolling. What on earth is going on with this team? The lottery train. They lose two uh, by not insignificant margins over the weekend against the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. And they have four games left on this really tough roadie. What is this team going to end up at the end of this thing? Are they going to be 0-6 on this uh, road trip? Or can it, they maybe steal one from Orlando? If all goes well, yes. They will be <laughs> 0-6. They'll be on the outside looking in where they belong. I think we all know what's going on here. I mean, Larry Markinen sitting, you know, Colin Sexton. They're like, take take your time Just with the hamstring. We'll reevaluate in seven and a half I mean, weeks. They, <laughs> traded three, they traded three rotation players at the uh, at the trade deadline. And now they have these guys that are nursing injuries and stuff and you know, Chris Dunn has been great, um, but you're 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 using a ten day guy, guy on a second day ten day contract who's playing twenty thirty minutes a game. Okay, we know what's going on here, which is fine. That was the plan all along. I felt, and I talked to you guys about this last week, a couple weeks ago. The the plan has been flawless. The Jazz plan all season has been flawless. They're doing exactly what they wanted to do this year. It could not have gone better, in my opinion. And you're now at this point where you got, what, 17, 18 games left? And they've been competitive most of the season. Yeah. They've been in that, that 10 range, top 10 range in the West all year long to make it interesting. But we're at the point now where it's time to get serious about the lottery. Pick a place. Let's go. <laughs> it's time to go the other direction because they need a lottery pick in this draft. You hope for two, but the Minnesota Timberwolves are trying to spoil the party. But you got to have a lottery pick in this draft. And, uh, you, again, you, you don't control what spot in the lottery you have. You can try to lose as many as possible to get more ping-pong balls, but ultimately guarantees you nothing. So the Jazz have handled this really well. They've been competitive and entertaining all year, and now we see the result here is it's probably going to end up in the lottery. I don't see any, any way. So the Lakers are going to move up, and I think the Lakers are going to take the Jazz spot in that 7 through 10 range. So uh, that's where this is going. The Jazz are going to fall out of this and end up in the lottery. Which is Jazz what fans, wants, Jazz right? fans I think go. seven through twelve all have thirty-four losses. Yeah, there's true. four or five teams that are that are kind of in the same spot. There's two spots in the loss column between Minnesota at six and Portland at thirteen. Yeah. Two spots, so, two, two games. It feels like to me that a lot of the this second half of the season after they traded their rotational players away is more about player development. It just feels no like 
they're giving a lot of guys serious looks or or even development minutes. And one of the guys I think is interesting to me is Simone Fontecchio, where he, he just he just is really struggling and had was having a hard time. And and you just you just heard Will Hardy talk about him and and what what they think of him and that they think he's a guy that you know, can shoot the lights out of it and they want him to work through this and they want him to know that they have confidence in him. And you've kind of started to see him maybe turn a corner a, a, a little bit. But, um, you know, of all these players, I guess, that are there, uh, and, and and he's certainly one of them, uh, who, who, I guess, who turns into that player? Is he a guy that you could see in the Jazz's future? Is there anyone else out there that maybe getting these development minutes that's standing out that maybe we're not completely aware of? I, you know, it's hard to say. I, I think that there's so many variables during the offseason that are going to take place. I think you're looking at who's going to be a core of this group that you see is part of your future. Obviously, Walker Kessler, you start with that, right? He's definitely part of your future. Okay. Probably not. Um, I'm not seeing that one. <laughs> in a, you know, I, I, he was he was a draft pick from a previous regime, yep. and I and I think that we kind of see how that's going. Um, Johnny Juzang is somebody that's getting minutes right now. That yeah. you're talking about Fontecchio. I'm really fascinated and interesting with Juzang because you need three points. You need three and D guys. You know, he, he fits the bill and hmm. he can shoot it. So I've liked what I saw from Juzang in 12 minutes uh, against the Thunder in that last game. Three of six from three. That's somebody you look at. Do you need a veteran point guard off the bench like Chris Dunn? Maybe you do look at that, but ultimately this is about the core, right? Walker Kessler, um, uh, Lowry, Lowry Markinen, Markinen. Ochai Abaji mm-hmm. is part of that. Is Colin Sexton a part of that? Yes, 100%. Okay. As of right now, yes. Jordan Clarkson, I believe, is still part of this. I think they like Jordan. I think they want Jordan here Boy, I hope long so. term. Yeah. And then is, is Talon Horton Tucker there? I think he's in the mix. I think they're looking at him as still a very young player. A lot of development you could do there. Um, outside of that, I'm not sure how many of these guys are back, to be honest with you, because there's going to be a lot of change in the offseason. There's going to be a lot of variables. They're going to have lottery picks, a lottery pick and maybe picks. They're going to have free agency. They're going to have a lot of options to remodel and revamp this roster. But the the point of all this right now is to get some developmental minutes out of guys like Ochai Abaji and others, Johnny Juzang, and figure out who your core is moving forward and build around it. Is maybe giving them development minutes a showcase as well? Because sure. you, you you have draft picks, and maybe you use some of them to draft players, and maybe you use some of them to acquire players. And there, I'm sure there are other teams that go, uh, we like Fontecchio, we like Juzang, or you know, we'll give you this and this. Uh, and the Jazz are kind of saying, "Hey, we're we're just we're we're putting our wares out there. You know, we're opening up our little jacket here and going, hey, look, see, this is what we got uh, as far as players on our team that maybe sweeten the pot or maybe make it like, you know, give them a chance." I, I just thought of that off the top of my head just now that maybe that's a strategy that they would employ by playing all of these players. No question, Scott. In the last six months, they've traded three guys who were in All Star games as Jazz players. Mm. You think that they're not they're not considering trading all these guys at some point, or that anybody's safe? So Is there speak? anybody that's untouchable? <laughs> Absolutely not. Do right. they have like a, a top five player in the roster right now? I say no. Larry Markkinen is an all star. He's a top twenty four player in the league. He's proven that. But do they have a top five? Do they have a guy that's going to get you to a championship? Yeah. We uh, don't know that yet. Maybe some of the, one of these guys develops into that. But I I, I believe they've still got to go find that guy. Right. And so, that's what this is all about. I, You know, I guess I should just – the whole year we've told everybody, and I've tried to tell myself, 
every game is a gift. Just like the expectations are low. They've already blown out of the water. The expectations is what we thought yes. was going to happen with this team. So uh, trying to get yourself – look, it could have been us. We're talking with 15, or 17 games left, and then we were talking about 17 games left, the possibility there might be a tank on, or at least uh, the basketball is not very good quality right now from this team. And I, I'll take that with 15, 17 games left versus the 40 or 50 or 70, which was what we kind of thought was going to happen. It's like, yeah, after about the first couple weeks of the season, this thing's going to be uh, shut down. What's Will Hardy going to learn, though, over the next little bit? Because this is a weird stretch for him where he's trying to get the best out of guys, and I, all he knows how to do is do the right thing coaching-wise and, and, and try to get the best out of his guys. So what's he focusing on? So I'll I'll answer this two part. I want to reference. I want to answer a part of your question there that you were bringing up is you know that that's kind of waited until this point. They got to this point where they were doing this. Imagine being the Spurs, a Spurs fan or a Rockets fan right now, mm. and the misery you've All had season. to go through. The Rockets have done this for the last two years. There's no hope in sight. I know they're trying to play for the tank and they're trying to get a lottery pick. You, there's no guarantee, and they've had to suffer far more than any Jazz fan has suffered this year. As far as Will Hardy. I think this is a great opportunity for him as a coach that's developing. It's not just about wins and losses all the time. Another part of coaching, and Scott, you've seen this as a professional athlete, there's a developmental part of coaching where you're constantly having to develop guys and helping them get better. Essentially, that's your role as a coach is to help guys get better. So Will Hardy is still coaching 100% 24-7 right now, trying to get the players that he currently has on this roster to get better. And that's what he's focused on right now. That's what he's doing. And I think it's an even bigger challenge for him now that they are struggling a little bit, that he's got to take different rotations and try to make things work. As a coach, he has to learn and experiment and grow himself. So there's a lot of ways in which Will Hardy's getting better as a head coach right now. There's a lot of ways in which Will Hardy is helping players on this roster get better right now that wouldn't have taken place otherwise. How many of these guys are getting rotational minutes that didn't even sniff the court earlier? Johnny Juzang? So now Will has a chance to take Johnny Juzang and take, okay, he played 12 minutes the other, uh, last night. He can sit down with Johnny right now and go over 12 minutes of game film. Not just talk about the shots he made. What did you do defensively? And a couple what were you doing too. when you didn't have the ball? Right. You know what I mean? So there's all these opportunities he now has to coach these guys in a different way that he didn't before when Mike Conley and Malik Beasley they and were Jared probably, Vanderbilt were They were probably here. coaching him. Right. I mean, Conley, I mean, what do you, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a great point, Scott, because this, these are young guys and you're, who, you, who you were coaching two months ago is completely different than who you're coaching now. And the way you have to coach has changed in the last six weeks. I think, I think with the, the coaching part of it and the developing coaching, it's a really good point because I, I think really good coaches don't communicate with everyone the same way. It's not yes. this dictatorship and go, this is the law. This is, it's like, I'm, I'm going to talk to Jordan Clarkson completely different than I'm going to talk to Walker Kessler. And when, when Will Hardy has a chance to talk to some of these, you know, to uh, a Chris Dunn, who's just kind of on his last leg, you know, it's a different conversation and, a, and a, a Simone Fontecchio and, and a Johnny Juzang, I mean, different conversations and, and a guy like uh, Rudy Gay, you know, who, you know, just old fart, you know, just, you know, how do you, you know, and you deal with these players so differently and to have, to have an opportunity to talk to them because they're playing, you know, it's, it's one thing to go, you're on the bench. There's not much of a, you know, yeah. work hard, 
You know what I mean? And and but when you're out in the game and you have different situations, okay, how do I talk to this guy? How do I how do I squeeze as much as I possibly can out of their ability when I get them on the floor with their different personalities, different skill sets, different uh, experiences? And and I think it's a it's a fascinating thing for a young coach to try to figure out. I really uh, like it. JJ, let's shift to the NFL draft here real quick. Your life is uh, made a lot easier when we have a lot of awesome mm-hmm. guys in the NFL that come out of these local schools That's here. That's fun, yeah. And, I mean, I, we all knew how athletic that Blake Freeland was, and but we actually didn't until this weekend. Like, I think that the surprise of, uh, I mean, just to have the numbers that he did was just insane, and going through all of them is even insane, but the 37-inch vertical or the sub-540, sub uh, you know, the the broad jump, which was all better than almost everybody. It was, it was incredible. Uh but isn't it insane too that the combine can take you from a guy who's like, yeah, fourth, fifth round guy. Now he's a second round guy for a lot of projections. This is what a combine weekend, if you put it together right, can do for you. You can earn a few extra million dollars. You want to prove that you're an athlete, and and Scott knows this that all these teams want athletes, and you can take you can't teach athleticism. You can't. You can't. You can coach technique. You can coach different things and different aspects of what a player does, but you can't coach athleticism. You can't coach size. You can't coach strength. You have it or you don't. And so that's what this is all about is trying to determine how big, fast, strong, athletic these players really are. And is it perfect? No. There's no way it's perfect because we've seen a lot of guys go kill the combine and they can't play a lick in the NFL. Tony Mandrich. Yeah. We've seen guys that – I mean, Tom Brady – did he kill it at the combine? No, he had the shoes on that I wear. He went. Like, that's why he went in the sixth round. He looked like he just dro- came off the street okay. and went out there and tried to, to run. watch him run a forty yard dash. It was actually like, the goat. I wouldn't even call it a dash with him. It's a, it's a lope. It was a forty yard lope. Tom you know Brady, it's fine. Stunk at the combine. He's the goat. Okay, yeah. so it doesn't answer everything, but what it really does is help you identify who great athletes are. And somebody like Blake Freeland, and I'm going to throw out Braden Daniels as yeah, well, who ran awesome a week sub-540. Yep. Okay, we're going to cover the Utes and Cougars here in this conversation because Braden deserves a lot of credit, too. He he earned himself a lot of money as well, but I get why Blake's being talked about because to have the highest vertical jump of any offensive lineman in the history of the NFL Combine is incredible. 37 inches? Are you kidding me? Yeah. He weighs 305 pounds. <laughs> but we already knew this. I, I knew in high school he was a freak. I mean, he yeah. was playing quarterback as a freshman. He got too big to play quarterback. They moved him to tight end. He's playing on the basketball team. He's dunking on kids all over the place. He goes out on the track field. He sets a javelin school record. He was like, that was uh, what he was record. for. That was what he was for. I mean, he was the Gatorade track athlete of the year. Yes. in high school. That's he, how insane he, of an athlete this he, guy. Is. His, his parents were track athletes, I believe, at at BYU. Or his mother was. I can't remember exactly. Um, his dad's now the head coach at Riverton High School, by the way. So they, they wow. the, all these things that he, he proved on that day are going to help him and his stock. Now, the NFL team – now, Blake's obviously got a – here's the thing about Blake, and this is this is fair criticism, is is he still has a long way to go as an offensive tackle as a football player. And he hasn't even scratched the surface of that. But he has the athleticism that all these teams can work with, that they're going to say, okay, you have a lack of experience playing the game at that position, but – you're a freak. We're gonna t- we're gonna take the, our time and invest in you, bring you into our system, and we're gonna help make you what we believe you can be. Because athletically, you are gifted. Uh, I've seen some. So the John Morant situation is yeah. wild. I just saw 
his the new nicknames that are floating around Twitter. Oh no, Jaw Wick. Oh no, <laughs> and my favorite, Jaw Warrant. Jaw Warrant. Oh man, <laughs> uh, we, we joke about it, but at the same time, this is a guy who has had to pull himself, not the team s- suspending him, his agent, whomever. Finally, an adult in the room got with him and said, you've got to step away for a minute. We've got to get some help. I don't know if it's a stress situation. I would hate to think that, like, I would understand what this guy's going through stress-wise. Um, you know, the pressure that he's get, that he gets from his, his, his closest associates, et cetera, on top of the fact that, you know, he's asked to do everything on that team. Um, but that is an awful look for the NBA. They've had these situations before. Adam Silver, I don't know what they're going to end up doing if it's like, hey, he took himself out of this thing if there's another suspension waiting for him once he comes back to the game yeah. from the NBA. What's the status there? Because that's a team who's making a run and is uh, is going to go without their floor general and point guard and one of the most flashy players we've seen in the league in a long time. Awful, unfortunate situation. I'm not going to get here on the radio and try to pretend to judge who Jaw is, what he's been through in his life, all those things. I don't know what's going through his mind. But I will say this, and I've heard others say it this week, you are a one of the best basketball players on the planet. There are kids all over the country that look up to you mm-hmm. of all different races. You are you are one of the faces of the league. You cannot do this. You ha- you have so much to lose and so little to gain by acting that way on social media or in any form in any way. Look, this isn't an isolated thing with him. There was there's been other things going on lately with him that have been odd. And he needs to get on top of it. And I'm glad he is. And I am such a big fan of Jaw's game. He play. He's electric. He's one of the most um, electric, entertaining basketball players of this generation. So I hope he figures this out because he needs to. If he if he has to remove some people from his life, if he has to take a break from basketball to gain a different perspective, to to look at things differently and view things differently, he needs to do that because he has too much talent. He has too much to offer the world than to be this, to have it be this. He he is too big of an example to other young people out there that he can't be doing this. He's got to change it. He's got to fix it. And wow. the Grizzlies can't sit back and allow this to continue to happen. They tried to brush that Pacers incident under the rug. They got really upset with the Athletic for reporting what really happened with right. that. Mm-hmm. Okay? You tried to brush this under the rug. Now they're finally dealing with it. They should have dealt with it when they heard that that was happening. Well, unfortunately, they played a role in yeah. this too. They've and, and, enabled this situation. There's a lot of people that have enabled this, and somebody needs to step in and tell this kid no. Yeah, and 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 I wouldn't be surprised if the NBA enables this because of what you're saying. Because he's such a marketable name, and he's one of the rising young players in the league, but. Uh, you know, I think of some other players that have kind of had similar situations, and you hope because you do. You have to you have to remove yourself from certain people and situations yeah. if if you want to be that person. You know, Ray Lewis comes to mind where Ray Lewis went, and you're young and you're stupid and you you really think you're invincible and all this stuff, and then you kind of slapped with the reality of if I keep continue in this direction, Brett Favre. Similar similar situations. Brett Favre was going nowhere, yeah, and he kind of had to turn a corner and change things. So. Who knows? Um, conference tournaments are this week. What what do we have to report hey, on you got, that? You got a, Anything you, exciting? Hey, Anything? WCC semifinal game. Have you heard this before? 
against St. Mary's for BYU. <laughs> it's like deja vu, right? St. Mary's in the perfect. semifinal, Gonzaga in a final. It would be the perfect way for BYU to go out as a WCC is to edge out St. Mary's in the semifinal and then lose to Gonzaga in a final come this close. I'm just kind of kidding, but not really. <laughs> but good. I mean, kudos to BYU for fighting and getting to this point. I mean, they were down 13 in that first round game against Portland and found a way. They beat a good LMU team the other night, and they beat them soundly. They only trailed for 15 seconds in that game. And you know what? These games they've had against St. Mary's have been close. So let's see what happens tonight. I, I don't think it's like this impossible thing. They didn't get blown out by Gonzaga this year. This is not the Gonzaga yeah. national championship contender we've seen the last four or five years. There's a reason that St. Mary's is the sounds number like one a, seed in the, right. in the WCC tournament. So, it's, it sounds like Jeremiah is calling for BYU to win the well, West Coast Conference. Why not? Why not? <laughs> hey, I will, no, would be more like... There would be nothing more of a Mark Pope thing than like stealing this game in a year that everybody wrote off what three weeks ago in terms of win losses. I've and never seen end less up. buzz about this program since I've been covering BYU basketball since 2005. And the only buzz it's got, that it's gotten is, "Hey man, Big 12 is going to be tough." Like, yeah, that's, like, well, that's really, not good either because right. everyone's like, "This is a last place Big 12 team," so they could completely change the narrative of their season in one week. And that's the brilliance of March Madness, right? That's why we watch this. Yep. That's, U- that's fun. Utes and Aggies. Uh, obviously, the Aggies. They're uh, you know when you think about how difficult of a road that they would have to go through, but that's one of the better teams in that Mountain West Conference. What about the Utes in the Pac-12? Tell us about the Aggies and Utes. And I think the Utes are run out of gas. I think they've had injury problems. I don't think they have the depth. They've got a short rotation. Craig Smith's done the best he could with this roster this year. They took a step moving forward, but yes. it's not good enough to go down there. I think they, they, they'll struggle to beat Stanford. If they do, then Arizona's waiting on Thursday. We all know how that's going to go. So, unfortunately, that's where they're going. The Utah State Aggies are the last team out, according to Joe Lenardi in the latest ESPN Bracketology, Ooh. and they go down to Vegas, where if, if everything goes the way we think, they would play New Mexico on Thursday. They have to beat New Mexico. It's like a win. It's like an elimination tournament now throughout this for the rest for Utah State. If you lose against New Mexico first round, Matt West, your bubbles burst. You're yeah, going to the yeah. NIT. Mm-hmm. Now, you, if you bit, win that game, you're going to play Boise State in the semifinals. Win that game, I think they're in because Boise State right now is another. Quad. They're a That'd be team. two wins against quad mm-hmm. one against a team with a quad one, and Boise State right now is a nine seed in bracketology. Two wins against Boise State in a week would get you in. So that's the situation with Utah State and in the in the WAC. Mark Madsen's coach of the year. In the WAC, Utah Valley won that conference outright. They have a chance to go win that thing against the, get to the NCAA tournament. Wouldn't that for the be first fun time? for UVU wow. to get to the NCAA tournament? It would be year. unbelievable. But don't count out Southern Utah, who is the three seed in that conference, who has the talent to get it done. We could have a Utah Valley Southern Utah semifinal matchup in the WAC tournament. That would be a lot of fun. But Utah Valley would be a tremendous story to see them go to the NCAA tournament for the first time. They got a great chance. They are the they are the uh, the conference champions, not the number one seed because they do this stupid computer ranking thing for that. But they they are the team to beat in in the Western Athletic Conference tournament. So there's some teams that have a chance to get in. Obviously, we know the Utah women are going to go. Right. Um, we wait until Selection Sunday to find out where they're going. They're going to host and probably be a two seed. Uh, JJ, 
Well, that was a lot. We threw a lot at you today. That was fun. We, do we got any more? Covered all of it. Okay. Covered all of it. There's actually, we're we're just going to shop. We're just close shop for the rest of the day. <laughs> You're done. Is that good? You're going to throw me back <laughs> in the closet and wind me up? Hey, just go, Jerry, amen. Replay amen. that uh, hour and a half you're, that we just you're, had. You're going to go plug me in and charge me for next week. <laughs> KSL 5 television tonight. You can tune in and uh, see uh, JJ and their crew put, seeing what they put together. And, of course, that BYU game against St. Mary's tonight in the WCC tournament. Thanks, JJ. You Appreciate got it. it, man. Uh, let's take a break here. Your home for the best coverage of the Jazz, Utes, Cougars, and Aggies. This is Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Keery. It's our show, all right? Presented by G2G Bars on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Welcome back. Here we are. Scott, when we last left our audience on Friday, the drama that was unfolding in the Pac-12. Boy, John Wilner and John Canzano, they just... I've got a, you know new, I've got a new name for the Pac-12. Oh, I thought you were going to say for John Wilner and no, John no, no, Canzano. No, no. The Double John. No, no. What's the... What's the uh, What's the new nickname for the Pac-12? Um, the new name for the Pac-12 just hit me. It's the OWN Conference, as in the Oprah Winfrey OWN Network. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you get in the conference. You, you get, get in the conference. Hey, you get in the conference. Look under your everybody seat. Everybody gets in the conference. You get in the conference. <laughs> everybody come join the Pac-OWN Network. Listen, look under your seats. There's a Pac-12 invite. <laughs> so the realignment rumors, I mean, it's just it's gotten more and more crazy. And some of the names that have been thrown out there via John Canzano and John Wilner is also in this uh, fray and talking about this. Oregon and Washington for now look like that they're going to stick around. I, they, they've kind of made some comments that they've decided to be like, look, we're going to cut. We're going to say something here. We're like, they've actually told some sources, hey, we are way in. We are absolutely in the conference. But adding other teams. We thought about UNLV, Fresno State, even Boise State were thrown out there, and those have been said to just be no's, okay? I, is it because of their AAU status? Scott, is that what the is that the academics that everybody I thought it was I did, AAU I or AAR, AARP? I don't know what they I don't know why People well, are still going, well, Boise State doesn't have the academic qualifications. It has like, nothing to do with cares any now? academics. The Pac-12 is like we Want there to be extra zeros next to our contract? We don't care. Television. Come on, man. No so, one. No one moves the needle with, with television. So the names that have been thrown out there now are along the same lines that we've heard before. San Diego State, SMU has been thrown out there. Colorado State even got an actual name mentioned. And then this is my favorite part because it's like you're buying a box of cereal, Scott. There's a mystery inside. They actually, there's a mystery school that's out there. I love Cracker Jacks. <laughs> mystery school. That. Oh, I got the encoder ring. I didn't even like Cracker tra- tra- I just Ooh. dug to the very bottom just to get the price. Did not care about Cracker Jacks. Tonight, we try to find out what the final mystery school is going to be. Remember Robert Stack, how creepy he was? He hosted this show, but he was also massive range being the, uh, the guy on airplane. 
Yes, Unsolved Mystery. The Mystery School, somebody tweeted at us and said, Utah Tech, they have the academics. Probably have better academics than uh, Boise State, so, I'd venture to say at this point. So there was in this. In well, so this, you get that Southern Utah market, Scott, that they've course. been looking for. Yeah. Right. That's so, you know, <laughs> vaunted. And it's like everybody drives yeah, down to St. George and goes, turn it to KSL. <laughs> hey, by the way, St. George is the fastest growing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Washington County yeah, is no joke, in man. In the country. Um, so it was, it was interesting having some of these um, athletic directors from the Pac-12 and, and some of the um, uh, comments that they made. So, uh, in fact, he said that uh, he had, had been in contact with a number of athletic directors in the Pac-12, that they and they've all said that there's going to be a favorable deal done. All ten of the current schools will remain intact, and they warned against. Um, there are some forces at work trying to undermine our effort. So be careful with what you see reported from non-sourced entities. Hold on, where's that? These are these are. Where's that music again? Did you say entities? Entities. Did you maybe think that we were referring to aliens? (laughs) Well, it could be aliens. It could be it could be schools. It could be the Big Twelve. It could be Brett Yormark. You know, I'd imagine too. With Brett this music. Yormark is not an actual human; he's I, an alien. That's, here's what I imagine with this music. This music is an entity. See, they they have the Pac-12. Hold on, turn it up. I love it. the 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 idea of police are looking for this man, and it's like an, a mystery school, and it's the it's the police sketch, yeah. of an idea of what they might look like. Yes, great academics, a little creepy, but could bring some value to the conference. There we are. The mystery school. It's either Utah Tech. I mean, really, where could the mystery schools come from? At this point, when they already go, no, we're not doing UNLV or Fresno State. That's stupid. What are we freaking talking about then? Because we talked about SMU. Got it. UTEP. Go Miners. (laughs) I think it's New Mexico. Oh. The Four Corner Schools. Yeah. If you're going to really. Get that Albuquerque They need to own. The four corner schools they can't they can't keep referring to the four corner schools and only have three of the corners represented. Right. It's got to be it's got to be New Mexico. New Mexico. I mean, there's some talk about Colorado State. Now, Colorado State was thrown out there. I know uh, Air again, Force at one point was actually thrown out there too, but I think that they've just totally poo pooed that, which I think is wild because, like, from no, a, they can't have Air Force. Why not? Because if they're if they're all about you know prestige. Air Force at least brings that a little bit. Okay. This is not about prestige. It's not about, <laughs> about academics. It's not about AAU or AARP. or anything. It's about a television market. And you're not going to sell TV games with the running the triple option out of Air Force. Is no. that what you're saying? No. And I'll tell you, one of the most beautiful campuses in the country – Amazing place. Thank you so much for serving our country and all that you <laughs> Scott do. Scott goes through. He starts going through and just, uh, I've got a laundry list of things. I got. You have a great campus. Thank you so much for your service. Toughness, sacrifice, <laughs> but, and passion. But we can't invite you. That's Cannot Air Force invite. right there. It, like, could you imagine George Klyavkov in a letter? Thank you so much for your service. We're not. In, we're not actually looking to expand at this time, General So and So. Like, I just, please. I just think it's fascinating. That there's so much information and disinformation out there, and I I, I, I thought it was interesting that these these act, uh, athletic directors pointed to that and said, "Look, there's a lot of stuff out there, and you got to be careful of what you're buying into and what you're believing." 
because there's a there's another agenda by some of these these people or or sources whoever is trying to do this uh and and of course I think it's the Big 12 and I think it's the Big 12 trying to create angst amongst the the schools in the Pac-12 and just getting them nervous to like maybe they'll jump ship who knows because uh they've been able to talk other people out of the conference namely USC and UCLA and and there's no reason why that Look, couldn't happen. Here's, here's the real deal. If Oregon and Washington really are staying, then stop talking about expanding for right now. Don't do it. Get the 10. You don't need to – like if you're not but being expansion, forced – Expansion, though, may, may be a it, part of the deal. It, like you've sure. got to have more schools if we're going to give you enough money. We need enough games here to play. And, and with 10 schools, you're not going to have enough games. And I games. know the SMU, we've talked about how – you know that's a that's that's a school that seems to make sense because of where it's located in DFW and and because SMU is a good academic school, it's a private school. But got the thing that AARP. they got the AARP card. Right. But what they don't have, and people think that I mean, just by they saying have a sucky team. Well, just by saying SMU, no, the team's not that sucky. Uh, what it is is when you say, oh, that gives you the Dallas market. I'll just tell you right now, having lived in the Dallas market, people aren't going turn the SMU game on. Hey. You know, there's a sports bar. Where's the SMU game? It is not brought up as much as you well, might what, think. What are they bringing up in Dallas as far as college football? Texas. Texas. Oklahoma. Texas and Oklahoma. A&M's even a stretch. So uh, is it, are you allowed to watch Houston in Texas, in Dallas? <laughs> it's te- it tends to be watched less. Yeah. The Houston Cougars are not a big draw for people in the DFW area. Just or so. in Houston, I'd add to. Or in Houston. <laughs> okay, see? Just by going, we got the Houston market. You can't just say that because I will say it does make it more interesting when they're – I mean, what are they? They're in the AAC right now, right? So Houston? When, yes. No, they're in the Big 12. No, but I mean like – no, I know. But well, what like I'm saying is, is like, that's where they're coming from. And then you go, we're throwing you in the Big 12. I think that Houston and – the Houston program and the Houston area deserves to have a Big 12 team. But – when you talk about what actually moves the needle in terms of Texas and market and being able to quote why unquote, sell it, the market, why is it that Texas, the state of Texas, does not dominate college football? It, it is it is mind blowing to me how you have all these schools. Hey, they think they do. All these schools, they don't. Like they really don't. They're just one good coach away. Remember I mean, that's something I mean, I always tell you. We're just I mean, one. think of all of the schools in Texas. You see our recruiting class just last year. We were number one, number two, and number three. Like they they love talking about how big their recruiting classes are, and they can never freaking convert. When was the last time you Texas have, won a national championship? Oh, it was at oh four, oh five. Okay, think, think about California, which is the most populous state in the country, right? And you have power five schools in the state of California. Four. You have Cal, Stanford, USC, and UCLA. That's it. Oh, we got uh, Chappie weighed in via Twitter. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Yes. Are you but sure? I just have, I have some breaking. Hold on. Okay. Hit the breaking unsolved mystery news, though. Mystery school. And recency bias is, is real. Tulane. Boom. The Green Wave. Jeremy owns a Green Wave sweatshirt. Oh. But... Uh, Where's Tulane? Nolens. That, that's in Louisiana? Mm-hmm. Uh, but how is it that Texas can have Texas, Texas Tech, Houston, uh, TCU, Baylor, 
Who am I missing? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm talking about Power Five, Texas A and M. Yeah, UTSA at some point, probably in the, in the future. Uh, or we I mean, you got, you got six school. Power Five schools in the state of Texas. Can't get it done. It's an embarrassment. And in Florida, Florida you have what? Yeah, Florida, Florida State, Miami. They should have more. Oh, Chappy UCF. Nails. They got four schools in. in uh, I don't know. I just don't understand why Texas doesn't. Sorry, it's not Chappie. It's an unnamed source. Sorry, I already named it, though. Sorry, Chappie. Tulane. Go Green Wave. Listen, if you can have – are they in the central time zone? Yeah. So there you go. You get, the, you, just, you get that part of it. Have Tulane and SMU together. That wouldn't be a bad pairing for the Pac-12. Imagine if SMU was playing a big matchup between SMU and Stanford. Battle of the Brains? Let's go. Okay, that wasn't a sexy sell. How about Washington versus uh, Tulane? Does that get your? Did I get the blood flowing? That's a big Pac-12 matchup. I mean, Tulane kind of dominated the Pac-12 in the bowl game. <laughs> Boy, people love hearing that. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're still trying to figure out who the mystery school is going to be in the future. We'll keep you updated on that one. And so will the Double Johns. The Kanzano and the Wilners of the world, they'll help you out with that one too. Remedical men, go to remedical.com to get uh, the only Utah's only physician-owned and operated wellness clinic offering ED treatments that are discreet, non-invasive, and customized for you, remedical.com. We will come back. We'll have uh, – I have some win projections for the Pac-12, by the way, the current schools that are actually in it. Uh, we will have those next for you. Stay with us, 97.5 DKSL Sports Zone. Let's get out to the phone lines, though, because uh, we've been chatting uh, – Oh, no, that's later. So, oh, sorry. I'm seeing the time. That was me. I blew it. I'm, I'm a little bit early here. I'm, making, I'm getting too excited. We'll come back. Uh, let's get those win projections, then we'll come right back to you. More to go. 97.5 DKSL Sports Zone. Let's lock in. This is Unrivaled. Yes! Yes! The teams you live for. The sports you love. With Scott Mitchell and Alex Keurig, presented by G2G Bars on 97.5 B KSL Sports Zone. So, so, so. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It is Unrivaled 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. Alex Keurig, former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell, to my right. And just so much going on. Every Monday, we have just so many things to break down. And of course, uh, the Combine has brought us. All sorts of interesting storylines, as it does. At the very least, we search for those storylines and see who the guys are who were not on a radar and then suddenly jump onto a radar. And so we're going to get some help breaking this whole thing down. Let's start off the show as we always do with the cut as Eric Edholm of NFL.com joins us. Let's jump in right here. The other question. Undeniable. Unrivaled. Top sports story of the hour. Here's what made the cut. Ain't like it. The cut presented by G2G Bars, all natural ingredients, no preservatives. G2G Bars, perfect for anybody who needs that quick, tasty, nutritious boost. Eric Edholm, NFL.com, joining us here on the program. Uh, Eric, you had your, your uh, work cut out for you over the uh, the combine, and uh, man, it's just so much going on here. How do you try to really break down actual numbers and who's going to hit Versus, you know, somebody who just has a really, really athletic day at the Combine. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, yeah, the, the Combine's a really interesting test uh, for, for a lot of people. You know, some teams 
put a lot of emphasis into the numbers and, you know, how, how far they deviate negatively or positively from what's expected, right? You watch a player on tape, you say, okay, that's a four, seven guy. He runs a, he's going to run a four, seven forty in Indy based on the way he plays. Then he shows up and runs a four, nine, five. And you say, okay, what, what's happening here? So there are cases where, you know, the players are not, don't perform as well as expected, Maybe their arms are shorter. Maybe their their weight isn't what you're expecting. There there's so many different variables here, but I still think that the the bedrock of, of scouting is always going to be watching the tape, um, doing the background work on these players, finding out injury uh, qualities, all that stuff, and then kind of marrying it with the athletic test. So there's also the the, the medical aspect of, of Indy, which is very important. There's the interview process. We're not always privy to that stuff, but you certainly talk to people to find out what's going on behind the doors. But it, it, it's a, you know, 300 plus players. Not everybody works out, but it's a lot of information to, to, to process over a, a four day week. How much do you think a player can improve their position by the combine? Like lo- locally here, Blake Freeland, uh, an offensive lineman from BYU, tested extremely well. Yeah. Um, what, 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 what does that do for him? In his case, that's a great question too, because he was one of the standouts of the weekend, I think. And you know, in Blake's case, I was down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, and and you know, there were some reps where you felt like you know the the defenders got the better better of him, you know, and there were times when you thought, okay, you know, he's got some work to do, but um, I, I think there is there's a sort of sense with him that he's got some untapped potential. You know, he's got the agility to kind of, you know, mirror rushers and, you know, fluid with his movements. Boy, I, I don't see, remember seeing too many guys, his size that moved as well as he did, you know, Colton Miller a few years back who plays for the Raiders. So I think it was 2018, you know, showed some similar skills and ended up being, I think the, what the 16th pick of the draft. I don't think that's where Blake goes, but, the point is, I think, you know, in the case of a Colton Miller, it really helped his stock. And so with Blake having coming off, you know, some some tough one-on-one reps in Mobile, uh, finishing, I think, the week strong down there, and then kind of bolstering that with, with his performance at the Combine, you know, it, it, it reinforces the idea that this is kind of a rare specimen. I mean, you don't find too many guys his size that move the way he does. So the teams that you know, run those those zone schemes and ask their, their blockers to get out to the second level. He's going to be a perfect fit for that. And a lot of teams have adopted, you know, offenses that you know, that, that that use those qualities. So I think, you know, he's he's still got uh, a lot of opportunities to to do very well for himself in the draft. You never really know, but it wouldn't shock me being a day two picks rounds two or three. We were uh, discussing also here locally because, you know, these guys, you watch them play and you go, I don't know how these guys aren't going to get picked by a team. They're just like, you know, they're, right. good, they're good guys. They're athletic. They're, all these things kind of add up and you just hope so much for these local dudes who've put in so much time. Uh, Braden Daniels from Utah is one of those guys that had a, a really big weekend. You know, there are guys like Clark Phillips who it's an interesting thing, too, because there, there are guys who show up at the combine, and it's like, hey, look, I'm not going to do anything to ruin my chance here. I don't want to get hurt, or I even have like even a sliver. I'm going to sit at, sit this thing out and kind of keep myself. So, here from the state of Utah, either at Utah, BYU, Utah State, or, or whomever, who are the people who stand out? You go, those are going to be the guys locally that are going to be that are going to go the highest. 
Yeah, I mean, Clark Phillips had, you know, some, some tremendous moments in college. His size was always going to be an issue. He measured in at 5'9", 184. That might have been a little smaller than expected on, on the height side. And, you know, the lack of length, I think his arms were just over 29 inches, if I recall, off the top of my head. So, you know, that puts him on the smaller side of corners. However, you know, he's been a good football player, too. We've seen it. You know, the Rose Bowl, obviously the big performance, uh, you know, in 2021 or, the you know, the 21 season, I should say, uh, came back strong this year and, and lived up to the billing. It's hard for defensive backs who, you know, come in hype to sort of match that. But I think he did that. So, you know, as, for, for teams that aren't as hung up on the size or if they project him inside of the slot, you know, they're going to still see uh, an active playmaker with great instincts. You know, a really good football player can help your football team out. And, you know, teams that may be a little more rigid on the, the, the benchmarks for height and weight and length and all that, you know, he may not be a great fit for them. So that's, they're not, he's not going to be as high on their list. But I think he'll do pretty well for himself. It's a great year at corner. That's the one thing that scares you is that, you know, there, there are more options to that position than there are in a typical draft cycle. So, you know, if you come down to splitting hairs, hey, we could take the guy who's got a little longer arms or he's, you know, he tested a little bit better in this drill, that sort of thing. You know, maybe he loses one of those head-to-head battles, doesn't go quite as high as expected. But, you know, like we said with with Blake, I think day two is is a very realistic possibility for Clark. Brayden Daniels, quick story. You know, Friday night, I think the receivers had finished up and we're in the – uh, the, the booth uh, writing there or probably one of the last, uh, you know, five or six people in the stadium. We see some offensive linemen come out. They're getting ready for Sunday when they run. And uh, Braden was one of them. You know, he was one of about four or five guys who got out there early, I think, and, you know, started working on his 40 and stuff. And it just reminds you how much is put into this effort and how hard these guys train to, to get it right and make sure they're putting their best foot forward every chance they get. So I was I was drafted in 1990, and it was the first year juniors came out, and so they had a special draft. Um, they had a Willie. Um, oh shoot, what's his name? The who's? Uh, I don't know who you're trying to talk about. No, a, a Farm Aid concert. <laughs> Uh, so they could, they couldn't. Oh, use, Willie Nelson. Oh, Willie yeah. Nelson. So we had to we had to do <laughs> our combine at the uh, Colts facility, which they didn't have indoor. <laughs> Indoor facilities, and so we were all Outdoor. out in a thirty mile an hour wind Jeez. trying to run forties, and oh, it was just miserable. Uh, but one thing that was the same from Scott's draft is the same thing that happens now, where it's like, "Hey, kid, you're, look, you're probably a first or second uh, well, round guy," and then and then you see yourself start slipping a little bit, and you're like, "Oh my heavens, is there somebody who's like that? Ed, who's like they're going to slip down that draft order, or or could potentially see that that slide?" Yeah, based on what they did at the combine, you mean? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. There were there were a few workouts where you said to yourself, "Boy, that, that's a little bit surprising." Or, I mean, I'm trying to think. Of, there wasn't anybody that I don't think. I don't think there's anybody that. You know, remember a few years ago when Orlando Brown was was drafted by the Ravens? Mm-hmm. There's this big, massive offensive line, and you know, he's the son of a former Browns and, and uh, Ravens player. You know, well known. He becomes, you know, played at Oklahoma, goes out there, turns in historically low times, and everybody he became kind of the butt of the joke. And he lasted until the third round. This is a player who was mocked in, you know, the mid first. And guess what? Orlando Brown ended up getting, you know, a second contract and ended up being one of the, the top offensive tackles in the league and, and played for the Chiefs and won a championship this year. So, 
you know, sometimes we do overrate some of these workout numbers and say, oh, this guy didn't do very well. And this is, you know, you know, I think what it what it should do in a perfect world is if you see something that is out of whack, you go back to the tape and say, what did I miss? What why? Why did my eyes not tell me what I thought they were going to be seeing? You know, basically, this player should be running this or this player should do this kind of a number and a drill. So. Yeah, I don't know that there was anybody that really, truly put on, uh, put up numbers that that made them undraftable or knocked them down two or three rounds. But the biggest thing I would say was probably a couple guys who got hurt on Sunday. Mm. Uh, Andrew Voorhees from from USC, you know, out there in Pac-12 country, he's obviously a, a well-known guy. He's played for six years, and you know, him suffering a torn ACL during the drill is is just a really tough blow for for a very good football player. So he undoubtedly was hurt by it. Um, you know, and there's going to be a couple more who might not have interviewed very well, or there was some medical information, red flags that were brought up. So the workout numbers can sometimes crash your stock, but I would say it's more often that it's injury, character, or some other factor that, that comes out there that, that ends up having a hindrance. Yeah, so getting back to my point about when when I went in the, in the combine, no one prepared for it. Like, you had no idea what you were doing, yeah. and so – so now, so many guys are ready for it, and and I, you know when you're talking about Braden Daniel, I mean these guys go and train, you know, for months and months to, on how to run a 40 yard dash, and you know I, I just you have to wonder sometimes how much does that correlate into being a really good football player? It's like they train for the mini Olympics, but not being a good football player. The the guy that's yeah. really no, interesting. Sorry, go ahead. No, as you can say, there's no doubt. There, I mean, I don't know that we have so much better athletes now than we did in the 1990s. I think people are, you know, putting so much time and, and stock into this. Like you said, we have guys this weekend who ran 40s who will never run another 40-yard dash in their life, and they'll be fine with that, right? They so, will not do, yeah. I, I, I was totally one of those guys. I, I understand that that, that <laughs> logic there. Yeah, there's no problem with that. So the guy who really stood out to me was Anthony Richardson. I think he's fascinating because – he just seems like a specimen, but he just he's hardly played in college. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I, I got a lot of heat. Uh, now, granted, I just started at NFL Media back in July, and I think it was somewhere around August 1st that I put out a piece, and they were basically saying, you know, who are some potential candidates for, for you know, the first round next year? I forget what the exact, you know, title of the story was, but it was basically – putting myself out there, who, who's going to be the, the top draft picks? And some of them are pretty obvious. I think we kind of knew, you know, some of the top guys. But I put Richardson on the list when he'd had, I think, 66 pass attempts to his name. And, you know, I felt a, li- a little nervous doing that because we didn't really know. All we saw was this, this ball of clay who was incredibly talented. And if you could mold it in the right way, you could have something truly special. And, you know, truthfully, this season was – a little bit uneven from him. I mean, the first game he, he tore up Utah, as you guys know. I mean, uh, you don't have to remind him. us of that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to bring it up. It's a bad but yeah, day for Scott him, in the swamp. You know, yeah. Of, yeah, right. It was, you know, obviously came down to the final play. But, right, I mean, he kind of carried them on his back that day. The next week against Kentucky, you know, he he flopped a little bit. So there is some of that in his evaluation where you say, all right, he's not there yet on this. But I thought his footwork looked a lot better until the very end of throwing session there. Uh, his athletic skills are, you know, almost unrivaled. You don't see 6'4", 244-pound guys at any position move the way he does, uh, jumping, running. I mean, it's unbelievable. 
So all the tools are there for him to be a, you know, a Cam Newton starter kid, if you will. So, uh, yeah, I mean, would it shock me if he went somewhere between the, you know, the third and the eighth pick overall, just purely based on upside? No, not at all. It, it, I think that may end up happening. Eric Edholm, NFL.com. Uh, you can read his byline there, get his breakdown of the combine. Two local guys here quickly we wanted to still get to. Jaron Hall, who uh, was on our show every week uh, during the fall and yeah. you know, watching him grow up over the last two years uh, at that quarterback position at BYU and have really, really efficient years. The guys learn how to take care of the football very, very well. Uh, his numbers are always pretty decent. Uh, how was his combine? And then Dalton Kincaid also we wanted to hear about. Yeah, now with Dalton, obviously, the injury, you know, not being able to perform in India, I think, you know, we talked to him uh, uh, during the media session and stuff, and you could tell he was kind of itching to get out there, but playing it safe, which I think is a smart move, waiting for the pro day to work out. Uh, from what I understand, he's he's very well regarded. Very, very possible he could be the first, second, maybe the third tight end drafted in this class. It's a very good year for tight end. So, you know, you think about a kid who – was late to football, you know, played at USD, didn't really, wasn't on anybody's radar, didn't have any stars as a recruit. For him to be in this position, you know, he's obviously got a lot of uh, traits that are innate, but he's also worked at his craft very well, too, and become, you know, a Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey type of tight end. So there, there's a lot of excitement about him. I, I can't wait to see if he is able to work out what he does there. But, yeah, for Jaron Hall, I mean, you know, again, we talked about the Senior Bowl earlier. I thought he got off to a real slow start down there, and it was disappointing because I thought maybe he could end up being one of the sleepers in this class. And He seemed to make marginal improvements with each day and I think played better by the end of the week. That's also a tough setting. I went down there, what, you know, 12 years ago now, 10, whatever it was, and watched Russell Wilson struggle and didn't mm. feel like, you know, and I liked Russell Wilson coming into that, even with the size questions that were there, but I thought – well, I don't know. You know, he just didn't look comfortable all week. But it's so tough for the quarterbacks. They get thrown into these these unfamiliar offenses with unfamiliar receivers, unfamiliar coaching. It's it's really especially tough for them because they're always going to be looked at as the leaders. But his touch, his deep ball ability, his athleticism, you know, all very interesting. And this is a QB class where it's very top heavy. You have the top four, a couple guys in the middle, and then it's five or six quarterbacks all kind of jockeying for day three positioning, I would say. And I think he's in that mix. I think he's, you know, he's done enough. He's had a good body of work in college. The age is going to be an issue for some teams. But if you're athletic and have a, a quality deep ball and you can throw with touch down the field, teams are going to be interested. So, you know, I look at a team like Seattle, just signed Geno Smith three years. Would love to have somebody behind him ready to go. That's a team that would make sense mm. to me. There are other, you know, other teams out there that have that same situation where, okay, they've got a starter in place, but what about 2024? You know, what are we going to do then? We'd like to have somebody to develop. And I think, you know, his experience is going to help him a lot. And I, I would say round five, round six, if I had to guess. But, yeah, I mean, he's definitely put himself in that draftable range. Eric Edholm, NFL.com. Like, now you guys are way under pressure. You've got to start putting out the way too early, like, 2025, 2026 draft because, 
you just get them too right even the year before or we just we just go so nuts for like these in the insane lists way too early on these guys and we we, we don't know much about yeah. them but i'm excited to see how these guys all roll out that's probably got to be an exciting part of your gig is to just be able to go look at this guy we didn't think he was going to do much and there he is or we thought the world of this dude and they ended up falling off the face of the earth so we appreciate it we love uh, yeah. getting that read on there nfl.com eric at home thanks for being with us man yeah, draft writers, political writers, we're always getting way too ahead of ourselves. Thank you, guys. <laughs> you bet. All right, uh, we'll take a break here. Here we go. Go get it. Let's go. That's it. It's time for the unrivaled NFL Roundup. <laughs> Premium grade A NFL news from a former NFL quarterback. And uh, the other guy on 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is Unrivaled, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Alex Curie, Scott Mitchell. Uh, we, we chatted a little bit earlier about the Combine, and I'm still trying to figure out, and every year I do this, I tell myself I'm not going to take, it's like if a guy wasn't great in college and you didn't like the stuff he did in college, but then suddenly we're supposed to love him, Scott, after a weekend of like some some good throws. Zach Wilson was good in college. I mean, he was, he was good that 2020 year at least. But it was that one throw that you were always like, beware. Well, it wasn't just the one throw. That, that one that everybody remembers, no, no, though, no. is that one from, that, from know, his pro I, yeah. day in Provo. No, I understand one throw wonders. I, I get that. And, th- and that's, that's a thing. It is a thing. And it has happened before, and it will continue to happen the, in the future. And, and a lot of it happens just because – when someone shows an ability to do something maybe no one else can do, then everyone gets enamored with it. We were in the Patrick Mahomes look one way, throw the other way, throw, you know, you gotta call way off, off balance. Off, off platform. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I refuse. <laughs> but but when you get into that kind of um, buzz, you're looking for that next guy. You know, that the NFL is all about a copycat, that next guy that looks amazing and great. So, yeah. Um, we're quick to forget. Like we're just. I think Anthony Richards is the. I think Anthony Richardson. Richardson might be the Zach Wilson of this draft. Now that's interesting because, but you also were pretty quick to mention too when we came in today. You were like, "But the dude's a freak. The guy did. He, is. he looked ridiculous. He, look, he looked a lot better throwing the football. See, that's what I look for. He looked a lot better throwing the football than I expected him. Like he he threw some just beautiful deep passes. And he threw um, when he threw deep outs on time, out on time. Uh, he wasn't waiting for the receiver to come out of the break. It, it was, it was. He was. I thought. I thought he had. I, everyone said C.J. Stroud kind of has, has solidified himself as maybe the number one the number one guy. But man, I, I'm telling you, some folks at the combine fell in love with Anthony Richardson. Yeah, KJ Jefferson, same thing on Arkansas. I mean, the guys, the guy has some insane numbers, and I, I think that we get married to those insane numbers. And um, it's it's interesting because on the, on the on the one hand, with the quarterbacks, and I think some of the skill position guys, when they put these insane days together, I don't know if it necessarily. I mean, there, there's a part we have to beware, right? GMs are smart too, most of the time. Some GMs are smart, and they go, and I don't think they fall for all the flashy. But a guy like Blake Freeland. Uh, who we talked about a little bit earlier with our, our draft expert. What do you like when you have those kind of numbers? An offensive lineman can absolutely shoot up the board 
with athletic numbers like that. I mean, you could have he could have earned himself an extra few million dollars by the performance he had this weekend. Well, you you rate guys, and then all of a sudden you get to compare them all against each other. I mean, that's the one good thing about the combine is everybody more or less who's any good is there. And you get to see, okay, it's it's really an apples to apples, you know, kind of comparison. It's very static, so it's not it's not about football. It's right. it's all about athletic ability. It's you know you can't you can you can see guys super freaks. I mean they're they're like Superman in shorts. Do you remember American Gladiators, the TV show? Yeah, Larry Zonka used to host it. <laughs> I think he was one of those hosts, wasn't he? Zonka hosted, but like it was. And what does this have to do with? Well, here's what I was saying: is, is okay. it feels a little bit like that, where you're going a little bit. Okay, yeah. oh, we've got this. We've got this yeah. really fun, weird event. Yeah. That if you're good at that thing and you can practice that thing, and these guys do, they go in and they go, they get these experts who come in and they they run the forty, and you're watching so them all, run it, and you're like, geez. Yeah. And so they've trained. To be for that thing, right? They've trained for the uh, you know mini Olympics, you <laughs> right? Know, kind of thing, but it doesn't mean you're. It doesn't make you a football player. I just love that wide receiver. All, one. all, all it all it does, all the combine does is it it says from the tape, watching people play real football, they can now say, okay, that guy's super athletic, that guy's super fast, that guy's super quick, and you get you get a better feel for. What you've already seen them as as an athlete, a guy like Blake Freeland, though, with the wingspan he has, with the athleticism he's shown, I think he's a guy that they definitely go. That that's a hard guy to get around if yeah. you're you're a defensive player because you can't get into him, this can't is, get into uh, him, and you can't get by him. And that's the name of the game when you're when you're a defensive end. And having that ability is unique and it's special. And I think I think Blake Freeland. Did did himself a huge favor oh, well, at the combine. All I could think when he was running, I mean, that, probably all the people from Utah. Sick, yes, I agree. Everybody had pretty dang good weekends. Jaron Hall didn't have a fantastic weekend no. or a fantastic. Well, I, I think he's kind of exactly in the place that he was when he showed up. Yeah. He's kind of that sixth, seventh quarterback, kind of in the in that grouping, and I think that's probably where he's going to stay. But um, I, you know, watching Blake Freeland in the forty. It's weird to watch a guy who's 6'8", 312. Everybody's saying, oh, he's 6'7". He was six in his bare feet. He's 6'7", and 7'8". The yeah. guy, was, when, I remember when he came out, was he Harriman? He, he comes out of, out of high school where he played quarterback and tight end, right? And, and you're going, and, and was on the basketball team and was, and was all these things that you go. And then when he comes to BYU, I remember when he came in. And other people are like, oh, this dude is like a potential NFL guy. And I was like, yeah, but he's like 238. Like, he came in like camp, he's like 240 or something like that. And we're like, this dude looks weird. Goes on his mission, comes back, does the thing that, that uh, the coaches, you know, they know how to put the weight on him. They know how to train these guys. And it was a great get. But I also think when he was running like that in the 40, all I could think of was Larry Allen running down, uh, you know, that, that uh, Saints linebacker. Because it's a, a freakishly big dude. Who has no business running this fast and absolutely, you know, is a is a massive athlete. So you know? my son Zach, who who when he was a sophomore in high school, he ran a four five forty, and, and he, he was, was your six height. four yeah, and yeah. three quarters, and that's what started getting him recruited. Yeah, and then he got you know he got his back injured and and he he, he couldn't he goes. He goes. I can run as fast as those guys, Dad. And I'm like, yeah, you kind of could. That is there. like that. And but it's he, in, in his mind, he was like, hey, if these guys run fast, they must be good football players. And so, speed is important. Speed to a lot of teams in the NFL is everything. Well, it's it's really. Every, I mean, you watch you watch guys on defense. 
every guy can run. Like, they can all run. And these defensive linemen these days are just <laughs> super crazy fast. These linebackers are really more like super safeties. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah, the, Fred that's Warner's the name a standard of, now, right? Yeah, that, that's like, just the name of the yeah. game. And so at every position, safety, corner, they, all these guys, you know, it's just sub four or five or forget it. You know, I just, I mean, you're just not, you're not going to play. And that's, that's insane. I mean, I think of guys like Chris Billman and John offered all these kind of traditional or a, a guy like uh, uh, a Jack Lambert, you know, oh, yeah. and maybe even Ray Lewis to some extent. Yeah. Those they're just, they're kind of Singletary, Urlacher. Those are kind of the first. Of the, in, right. They're just, I mean, although Urlacher kind of had that, he, he put on, he ended up being like a the first and second down stop the run kind of guys. Yeah. But you don't stop the run anymore. Yeah. You don't have to. It was just the guy who was matching up against the center with that big, you know, yeah. that you just plug in those, those gaps and that was it. And then it became some freak athlete. Although Erlacher was a freak athlete, all these guys were to an extent to be in that spot. But uh, so uh, here's one thing I wanted to bring up was Derek Carr, of course, signing today with the Saints. Four years, $150 million. Really? <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. How so much th- of it's guaranteed? Now, that's so a let's great, go through the math. That's a great question. Let's we just at, need to go through Scott the math. Wants to, just... Scott wants to see what he's going to end up with. $100 million in total guarantees. A hundred million for four yep. years. Four years, hundred million dollars guaranteed. Uh, I mean, it's like it's about thirty-three million for three years. If if I know you go hundred and you go, it's just twenty-five, right? So that's the cap. That that's the cap math or right. the accounting. Uh-huh. You just divide the number of years into whatever the signing bonus is. So signing if it's hundred million, <laughs> you it's four years. It's twenty-five million. You don't know the signing bonus was? Take a guess. Uh, sixty-five million. Sixty million. Yeah. That he got today. Yeah. Right? You just go, hey, uh, what's your bank account for, number? For getting saying? benched by the Raiders. <laughs> He's like, dude, hey, uh, what's your bank account? We just want to wire $60 million over to you today. Don't forget to yeah. pay your taxes. Uh, so, look, Derek Carr goes from being, uh, I don't know, he, I don't know what he's going to look like after everything. Derek Carr is just okay. Derek Carr is in that category of guys that are just like, but I guess he's better than a guy that you that you're taking a shot on on a, on a you know uh, in a draft or trying to figure it out with the you know what's funny is that out of all this so then they're like well Andy Dalton see ya uh, Jameis Winston see you later Taysom Hill just keeps just keeps like hanging out and being like well I'm kind of untouchable here because I'm not a quarterback really well what Taysom Hill is is the more you can do. Yes. He's the epitome of the more you can do. And that, that was always a saying. The more you can do, the longer you're going to stay around in the NFL. So if you're an offensive lineman that can do – you can play center, you can play guard, you can play any of the the, the, the offensive line positions, that uh, extends your career. If you're a guy that can long snap and you're, and a, you're a lineman – I know a guy, Jeff Dellenbach, played with him in, in Miami, played 17 years in the NFL, was not a great player – was a very good player. Seventeen years, but he played. But he was a long snapper. He played every position. Wow! No, he was. No, he was. He he could he could snap See, as a center. He was guy. a guard. He I was, don't even remember this guy. Yeah, he right. So he played. He played. He was drafted by the Dolphins. We were really good good friends, good teammates. He actually went to Green Bay when they won the Super Bowl. Went to New England. Uh, was there a few years. And just bounced around a couple of places after Miami and ended up playing 17 years. Okay. Because he could play, because he was valuable. You're a GM and you have to make or a decision. Or you can do. You're a GM, you have to make a decision. 
and not that the Saints have this option, but let's say that uh, they don't get the the they get the third quarter, but they get a shot at the third quarterback, maybe a, a, a Will Levis type of guy in the draft because he's you know uh, people really like what he did out of Kentucky, right? But you're not maybe you don't get C.J. Stroud or, or Bryce Young. Yeah. Would you rather have Derek Carr come in, who had last year, not this last year, but the year before in 2021, threw for 5,000 yards and uh, 68% completion percentage and, and 34 touchdowns or whatever, and the guy's had a nine-year career and he's just okay, but you know what you're going to get with Derek Carr, which is you might get to the playoffs, he does have a good arm, blah, 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 but you, there's the unknown of a guy like Will Levis who's done, not not thrown for f- almost 5,000 yards in a season before in the NFL. Which one do you take? Well, if you, the, 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 the contract he signed is at least three years. Yeah. Um, maybe two. Two to three years, mm-hmm. right? It probably won't. I wouldn't think he would see the whole thing, but, uh, you know, maybe he does. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure the salary side of it is way back end loaded. So if he, you know, if he got like $25 million – a year for the bonus plus a really low base salary, mm-hmm. then his number that the next two years is probably thirty something million dollars. I would think, which is really good for a so quarterback it, these it, days. Wildly, it's it's probably an average number. Uh-huh. You know, it's not a great number. I mean, this is an amazing deal for Derek Carr, but if they drafted a guy, then they go, we've got a mentor, we've got a guy. Let's see what happens with him. Um, you know, we'll, we'll go two, three years with Derek Carr, and then if we just fall in love with a guy and he ends up in our lap, we're not going to turn it away. Right. I mean, you don't, you don't turn away someone you think can be a really good quarterback, and then they kind of have the best of both worlds. They can be competitive. They can be a good team. But mentoring a young quarterback is, is always a good thing. Um, and, I, and I don't like the I don't like the Ryan Tannehill um, mentoring that he got all caught up in. It's not your job to be a mentor. Sure. You're not mentoring other players, uh, other quarterbacks at, at your position. You're you're there for your career. <laughs> like and and uh, someone wants if it wants to rub off, but it no one's required to do that. And that's the biggest crock of BS I've ever heard in my life about mentoring people. I guarantee you Joe Montana did not mentor Steve Young. Dan Marino did not sit there and mentor me at all. But he did. Well, I learned a heck right. of a lot from keeping my mouth shut and my eyes open, you know, and, and just really paying attention. Yeah. But he didn't sit there and, hey, kid, let me tell you how this right. is. Uh, let's take a break. We come back. we got more to go around the corner. We have our two-minute drill uh, up next, and uh, we'll come back, put a ball in this hour. Stay with us. Oh, before we get out, though, I want to mention folks at uh, ReMedical. ReMedical is Utah's only physician-owned and operated wellness clinic offering ED treatments that are discreet, non-invasive, and customized for your needs. ReMedical. Renew, restore, reclaim. Visit ReMedical.com today. All right, more to go around the corner. Stay with us, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Your home for the best coverage of the Jazz, Utes, Cougars, and Aggies. This is Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Curie. It's not so right. Presented by G2G Bars on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is Unrivaled 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Alex Curie, Scott Mitchell, happy Monday. Aren't you glad to be back at it, Scott? No. <laughs> Look at your face. Nah. Come on. No. Our jobs are fun. They're relatively easy. It's a this is a good time. 
Ice cream sandwiches are on tap, which is actually makes the job harder. Because I'm it's not a, eating it's a ice job cream hazard. I know. Yeah. Why can't they put? Why can't they just put a lock? We on? should wear a, hel- a hard hat to work, <laughs> just to not eat those ice cream sandwiches. Uh, put one of those oat muzzles on our mouth. <laughs> put one of those. Just put a muzzle over us. It works for radio. I mean, as long as it has the the holes in it, you know, you can be able to talk to it. The little Hannibal Lecter mask. Yeah. Uh, I could still get it. I could still get it. I could still get an ice cream sandwich through that little slot, though. I guarantee it. I'd mash it through there. Come on. Uh, two minute drill. Of course, it's that time of the show here. We got to go quick here, Scott. Which is exactly the name of the game. What do we do with this? Playing a football game, you go down the field, kick and go, go score a touchdown. Don't have a lot of time. See, so hurry our show same way. Still have a lot to talk about. Not a lot of time. So talk a little bit about a lot of things. Hurry up, finish the show, go home happy with the trophy because we all participate mm-hmm. along with a plethora of desserts that include chocolate souffle, flan from Spain, key lime pie from Florida. Baklava from um, where? That'd be Grace. Those are a lot of Grace, yeah. Grace, Grace, <laughs> little Grace, little Graceland there, little baklava from Graceland. Uh, uh, gelato from uh, Italy and cake from Walmart. Oh my gosh! Okay, so uh, here's here's the one I wanted to bring up because I love this story. So uh, what's his name? Our guy Steve Sarkeesian. Yes, head coach of the University of Texas Longhorns. He's got a he's got an interesting little thing going on because he's got a quarterback battle, and he just said today that officially he's opening up a quarterback competition between he between Arch Manning and Quinn Ewers. By the way, so you know what that means? Two of the biggest freaking uh, recruits in the history of quarterbacking. Yeah. You know what that means? Wow. Quinn Ewers is going to be the next quarterback in the Pac-12. Oh, you think so? Heck yeah! Now, if it's a real competition. There's but no they, such thing as a real. Really want, just so you know, there's just, no such thing as a real competition. It's because they want Arch Manning to they work out. They know who right? they want. Okay. So, you said he's going to end up in the Pac-12? Well, yeah. Don't all the rejects from everywhere else end up in the Pac-12? <laughs> and play well, mind you. I'm not – this is not a bad thing. Why would – look. This is a land of mis- misfit I to, toys. I was, I was playing uh, – putting out fires on Twitter all freaking weekend because of the, the clip that Jeremy put up of me – Saying that Utah'd be one of the better teams and the the best team in the in the in the uh, Big Twelve. Well, we all know that. I got I got killed on it. They're like, oh yeah, Cincinnati was in the playoff two years ago. I was like, I just think right now the returning two Utah years ago is a good. long time. I mean, what Zach Wilson was really good two years ago. <laughs> Gosh, he didn't even get to the Pac-12. Nope, <laughs> he wasn't even that big. Of a in fact, Quinn Ewers will end up at U- UCLA. No, yeah, I've got a difference. I've got a different spin. Okay. I think Quinn Ewers is going to win that quarterbacking job. Oh, and you know what's going to happen? Tell me, Coach Prime is going to pick up Arch Manning. Oh, in a year. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but Shadur, Shadur's there. I know, but if he, but how, but Shadur's. Hey, gonna, that's your quarterback over there. I know, but I think that I'm bringing just the rest wondering. of them in my Louis Vuitton luggage. But we're coming. <laughs> we are coming. We coming. Uh, I just like the idea of that whole thing getting shook up. And if Quinn Ewers does go somewhere Ooh. else. I think Arch Manning at Colorado, that, that would be shaken up. Well, Quinn Ewers going to Colorado. Like, because Shador is going to be what? Let's say that next year, maybe it's not next year, maybe they, they bring him on and he ends up playing after Shador goes to the NFL earlier. Yeah, the, those guys, when they come to the Pac-12, they demand to play now. Ah, all right. You don't come to the Pac-12. Oh, I'm, I'm going to sit behind. Uh, I love learning from Shadur. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Joe Montana, his Super Bowl jersey shattered an auction record that was uh, held by Tom Brady's jersey. Sold for $1.2 million. Now, here's the thing that's unique about it. 
And I what Tom Brady loved, bought it? No, I love this that story. Was, that was his idol growing up. Was well, Joe Montana? That would actually be a really good. Yeah. You know how memorabilia has gone crazy. So this is a, this is a per, this is an amazing move. But the thing that was amazing about this is he wore it in both in two Super Bowls. Sure. He this did. one. Yo, you say you say it wasn't. Uh, how do you authenticate that? But, see, you had, this is a shoulder pad uh, mark from. This is a grass stain from Super Bowl. So, uh, someone got took on that one. You think I, so? I do. But if they authenticated it, then it doesn't matter. Well, if it's if it's authentic, that's, that's incredible. That's what then it, it is. should they be. It was. It but was a- you you I mean, think about Tom Brady got his Super Bowl jersey stolen. Oh yeah, that one year. That. So it was, it's not it, like it's oh, not like you have a whole lot of Super Bowl jerseys like hanging awesome out, story. hanging around. That was such an awesome. Story. I would be surprised. I, what did Joe Montana sell his jersey? I guess he did, or he gave it away to a, to a charity, and then there you are. Well, the uh, actually I forgot about this. There's a whole documentary, the heist of Tom Brady's Super Bowl jersey. Yeah, on YouTube. I forgot. I watched that a few years ago. I think OJ took it. Did he still? <laughs> it actually would be. This is mine. <laughs> this was mine. Uh, okay, Scott. There you go. There's our two minute drill. Uh, wrapping this hour up. We'll be back again around the corner. And uh, stay right here with us. By the way. Our two-minute drill brought to you by Cadillac, the Jerry Signer Cadillac here in Salt Lake City. If you want to get a piece of luxury that you deserve, go test drive a Cadillac today. Jerry Signer Cadillac. Check them out. More to go. Stay with us. 97.5 DKSL Sports. This is Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Keery. With the access and insight on the teams you're passionate about. I love it, baby. Presented baby, baby, by G2G Bars. This is 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's Unrivaled. Scott, we've got a fun show today, bud. It's been fun. Good Monday. Lots of good stuff to talk about. Uh, I was, you know, going back just an hour here. Eric Edholm from NFL. That was a he was awesome. Yep. He was good. And to break down the the combine the way they did, if you missed any of that, you can go back and listen uh, either on kslsports.com. Hey, let me also take time to mention the KSL Sports app, the brand-new KSL Sports app. If you've been streaming it on the old Zone app, uh, I would encourage you to go to the KSL Sports app and get yourself streaming on that. So um, at some point, that Zone app is going to go away, and we're just going to be full-on on the KSL Sports app. And you'll be able to stream all the shows on on uh, the KSL Sports Zone right there. Just download the new KSL Sports app, and you can get it and uh, never miss a beat. Scott, my guy, Geno Smith, and I predicted this years ago. Actually, <laughs> he was going to be a guy who deserves a shot. And after Russell Wilson left us last year, he proved everybody wrong, except for me because I was the one who predicted it. Geno Smith gets his three-year, hundred and five million dollar contract with that Seattle uh, Seahawks team as their quarterback going forward. And you heard Eric Edholm speaking up say, hey, you know, Jaron Hall, that might be a good place for him to land. Get behind a a veteran like Geno Smith and uh, find yourself uh, behind somebody who knows what they're doing, and there you go. But Geno Smith with the brand-new contract, Scott. What's amazing is here's a guy who probably left for dead. I mean, really. I mean, he. I, I think in a lot of ways people go, yeah, he's, he's a serviceable guy maybe. Uh, he's not a guy you're going to certainly count on. And he goes from zero to a hundred and five million dollars. Hey. I mean, that's that's pretty remarkable. It's a good payday, man. And and I don't think it's very common 
usually when you get a guy who busts out, they they usually don't turn around and 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 really make something. So it it, it speaks speaks volumes to him and uh, you know having the right mindset about this. And you know it's just I, I guarantee you in his head he's going this is more money than I ever imagined. Now it's not a blockbuster deal, but it's a pretty solid deal for a quarterback. Half of it he can earn in the first year. That's pretty good. Pretty, Fifty-two pretty, million this year. Yeah. What's the full guaranteed though? Money? Did we hear about that? Oh, forty-one million. Forty-one million guaranteed. There you go. That's not bad. No, not bad at all. He probably got thirty-eight of it today. It's, it's a lukewarm endorsement. It's not one of those. You're the guy that we're gonna run. No, I, I, I hey, know. Thirty-three this sounds, million dollars. I, and what's funny is, is it's no, true. It's below average. No, because quarterbacks. because quarterbacks that are that are top-tier guys that. You know they're they're up in the forty five ish range yeah. and close to fifty million a year and they're signing nine year deals worth you know um, close to almost a half a billion dollars over over the life of a contract. This is this is just you know your bargain basement middle of the road quarterback. It's nice savings, hundred and five million dollars. Hey, if he takes him to the to the playoffs, which he likely could do, it'd be worth it. Uh, there you go. Your comeback player of the year, Geno Smith, gets rewarded with a nice $105 million. All right. Uh, for Scott, I'm Alex. Jeremy hitting the buttons across the glass. We'll be back again tomorrow. 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.